welcome to Totally Tintin. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. And today we're going to be talking about the Red Sea Sharks. Yes. Uh, a book that has... <laughs> I agree every show. It's like I... It's like You uh, do agree that the title yeah. of the book is what we... It's as if it's right in front of me. Yeah. And I can see it. It's uh, basically, it's Robert's Rules of Order. We've yes, got to go around the table, true. see if we all agree to what I, book we read I this second week. that book. And uh, here, here, cheers, cheers. Um, <laughs> that's not what they do at a meeting at all. Here, here, cheers, cheers. That's what they do. Yeah. That's in Robert rules of, Robert's Rules of Orders. Mm-hmm. It's a different Robert. Yeah. It's, totally, it's Rules of Ordering Beer. <laughs> that's right. Here, uh, here, cheer, 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 beer, beer. Okay. We'll get to the nonsense in a bit. Let me get the rules out first and explain what this show is all about. If you're listening for the very first time or just like hearing things repeated here we go uh the way the show works is i work in the comic book industry and i'm also a comic book fan i write the simpsons and futurama comics and my friends throughout many decades of my life uh have said you got to read tintin and i never have uh so uh to force me to do so uh dave has kept me in this room now uh, nine like about 12 weeks Something like that, uh, and uh, forcing me to read each of these uh, Tintin books, and then we discuss them once a week. And when this is over, he says he'll free me. That's true. Is that how it goes? Possibly. All right. I was no promise. But Dave himself, uh, how do you feel about the works of Hergé? Well, of course, I come from the opposite uh, side of this page. I love Tintin. I love uh, Hergé's art. It's a real influence on me, and I and I'm actually really enjoying this. Uh, Reread through these books. Cool. Well, we're not on the opposite sides because if it was the opposite sides, I would be disliking the books, which I am not. I just have not read them. The opposite of, uh, of dislike is not uh, not. No, no at I'm all. not. I'm not saying that, that you don't like them. I'm just saying you haven't read them. So in that sense, we're we're opposite. That's right. The yeah. opposites being read and have not read. Yes. Very good. Okay. Uh, here, here. Cheers, cheers. <laughs> beer, 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 beer. Uh, and neither of us really are drinkers either. So that, I don't even know why we're doing that. <laughs> now. Um, uh, the way the show also works is uh, Dave usually gives uh, some context as to where we are in the life of Hergé and Tintin. Then we go through the book a page at a time. So if you don't want things spoiled, well, you know what to do. Yeah. You know how this uh, how this kind of thing works. Yeah. You, when someone says spoilers, uh, it's your choice yes, whether you want that's to follow true. along. It is not. your choice. But we recommend you having read the book or even have the book with you and go through it with us. I think that would be the best way. That would be my preferred way. Right. Is sitting there for hours with a book on my lap. Actually not. Okay. Um, <laughs> Could I just say one thing sure, when we get started? Sure. Uh, this uh, has, has a little bit of the same problem I had title-wise. And we talked a little bit about this before the show began, but let's pretend we didn't. Yeah. Uh, with Destination Moon. In that when okay. we read Destination Moon, yeah. uh, my wife especially, uh, she went, they don't get to the moon? And it was like, oh, I thought they were going to get to the moon. Mm-hmm. And with this one, it's called the Red Sea Sharks. Yeah. So, well, I'm assuming there's going to be some sharks. One shark. There's one shark in the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's got like three panels and then a pretty grisly end to that shark. The shark is not a threat. He seems like comedy relief that just comes <laughs> to a bad end. So yeah. uh, yes. I'm not 100% on board with the title of uh, of this story. I don't blame you. Uh, it actually, it was a title that uh, Hergé had cons- considered calling the story. Uh, but he just went instead. It was in the French version. It's called uh, Coke en stock or Coke on board. So the idea oh, being I that right. the code name for the slit black slave spoilers uh, is Coke, and so they are on board the boat, and so that was so it has sort of more a kind of a sort of a spy name almost, you know, like a sort of mission whatever or mm-hmm. Coke on board. So you kind of get this sense of of the, the the story in more of a sneaky way, and I do agree with you. It's, that was it was a transla- translator's choice, and once again, I mean, it's not necessarily Hergé's fault. Uh, 
with same with the Destination Moon, his his title was Objective Moon. So that's a bit of a different mm-hmm. uh, sense of of it. Not destination. So it's not the idea that, that we're destined to go to the moon, just that we are in the process of. So the book should really be called Getting Ready to Get Ready to Go to the Moon. That's right. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned French. You Have you been reading this one in French? Occasionally read, you read these stories in French. I read a little bit of it in French, more just to sort of check a few things. I didn't read all of it in French. Okay. There's actually only a one substantial difference between uh, the story as printed in the color albums and as run in uh, Tintin magazine. Will we get to that as we, we get to that? We will get to that as we get to that. All right. Yeah. That seems yeah. to be Dave's style lately. As it used to be <laughs> all off the top, uh, yeah. as a barber would do. I I'd rather integrate it, yeah, yeah. Uh, but now it's uh, spreading it out. Yeah, I'd rather integrate it into our talk. Yeah, you, you now believe in integration. Good mm-hmm. for you. That's right. <laughs> uh, so uh, the finally now this uh, I would just say overall this was the first story in a long while that was uh, all reality based. There was no science fiction in this one. There was no magic. There was no extreme. Would element. you say there was magic in the last one in the calculus affair? No, but I would say there was science fiction. In the calculus affair, how so? Uh, the uh, device that was uh, shattering uh, whole cities—it doesn't shatter whole cities; it shatters a model of the. I, underst- of I understand that, but the device that would shatter these windows and do that uh, sort of thing back in the day that the book was being published—that was definitely science fiction. The idea was they were developing a weapon that okay. would destroy cities. That's mad scientist. Okay. Uh, style okay, science sure. fiction. And uh, before that, of course, we went to the moon, which at that time was science fiction. Mm-hmm. And before that, we had uh, science mixed with magic. So, uh, yeah, this is the first one that's really full-on grounded, could be happening at any point, yeah. almost in uh, in history, sadly. Okay. Yeah. And it really was happening. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not a made-up story. It's something that Hergé read about happening and took it and adapted it into a story. So we'll just start from the beginning. So this story was published, as usual, in Tintin Magazine, the magazine that bore his name, which made sense. It would be strange if he was being published in Spiru and there was still a Tintin Magazine running parallel. Uh, so it started in October 31st, 1956, and then it ended in, on January 1st, 1958. And like I said, the original French title was uh, Coke en stock, or Coke on board. Now, the Coke that they're referring to there... Is uh, what is that? That's a byproduct. It's a form, yeah. It's a byproduct of uh, coal. Right. It's like a charcoal coal uh, that's particularly um, it burns it. It's a high efficiency burning coal. Right. So it's a, so uh, again, we have said it's a spoiler podcast, but it's about slavery. So it's a bit of a racial dig there as well, saying that it's you know it's yeah. uh, it's this dark substance, and then we're uh, yeah, put these men. You know, it's uh, black, so black men on, on yeah. On, on so the, ship, yeah. Uh, the people yeah. who are the slavers are uh, real jerks. Let's real say jerks. that. And it, I don't, I don't, I don't mind going out on a limb and saying these slavers are jerks. And the the use the code word was borrowed from the reality. It wasn't. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it was an actual word used by, according to this article, anyway, that Hergé had had read. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough, the series began about eight months after the Calculus Affair ended. So. To people outside of, you know, people who are just looking in the window of the Hergé world or Tintin world, it's as if we're back at the booming days of Hergé of the 30s, early 40s, you know, just kind of pumping these out. You know, a month after one ends, he's back at it again. I mean, I know it's eight months, but eight months at this time was, yeah, it was a short, short period of time. What people didn't realize was, one, he was kind of being pulled along in the wake of the enthusiasm of the studios. So it wasn't his enthusiasm, it was his people, the juniors he was working with whose enthusiasm kind of made the projects tick along. You know, they're the ones who did the really hard 
work, in my opinion. They did the really hard work of backgrounds, backgrounds and drawing cars and things like that and technical things. That's the really hard and boring parts of drawing. Mm-hmm. The fun parts of drawing are drawing the characters because they're fun. It's just like when you're a writer and you're writing dialogue. That's the most fun you can have as a writer. Writing descriptions of how the house looked and how, you know, how people, you know, how were dressed and things. That's a boring slog. Then you get to the exciting part. You're like, oh yeah, now they can talk. Tap, 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 tap. You know, and that's just an endless conversation with yourself, you know. I wonder if there's those some artists that are, like, whenever I think of you know, when you're saying like, oh, drawing horses and cars and yeah, all yeah. these things, uh, I'm, I'm picturing though what, and I'm going to be a stereotype. No, I'm not actually. I can, I can divide this up. Mm-hmm. What boys and girls like to draw. And it's like, they like drawing horses. They like drawing the cars. And when it comes to drawing people, they don't feel that comfortable drawing them. There's some artists that feel that way. So I can see how someone would still have that mindset of, oh, it's fun to draw cars and horses and And rocket ships and all this business in explosions. It's fun. And that's why he hired people who were technically proficient at that, like Roger Leloup and Jacques Martin and Bob Demour, who could effortlessly toss off uh, these sort of things, uh, you know, drawings with perspective and cars and tanks doing complicated maneuvers. And so he didn't have to worry about that. He just had to, you know, thumbnail it, you know, kind of loosely draw it out and and then leave the details to them to figure out. And meanwhile, he just drew what he really liked to do. But even that is kind of stretching the truth because the fact is, is that, uh, you know, although, as I say, with the help of the studio, with that he was, I mean, I think this, we're coming into like his best work now, in my opinion. I think that the books that we're reading right now are kind of the cream of, of Hergé, uh, particularly t- uh, Tintin in Tibet and the Castafiore Emerald. And this book and Cactus of Air, those are kind of like the high watermark to me of, of Hergé. The sort of, you know, the, I like all of it, obviously, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying it, you know, there is a, to me, there is like a, there may be small plateaus, but mostly it's a rise in quality as we've come to these books. And, but the truth is, is that he was doing his best work in spite of himself. Like, he would have gladly given up doing Tintin altogether by this point in his career. The fact is that, you know, he had signed this long-term contract with his magazine, who he felt beholden to, to to create Tintin because of what they had done for him. Mm -hmm. So he, and then he created the studio and this sort of way to help him to draw Tintin and kind of keep it all together. But even that was a burden, too, because suddenly now he's not just supporting a magazine with his name and his character's name attached to it. Now he's supporting a studio with his name and his, and his character's name attached to it. Yeah. So he has these two different, wholly different organizations, both of them, that he's kind, they're kind of resting on his shoulders. I wonder, uh, it would be an interesting topic for a different show, obviously, uh, but uh, creators that did their best work not wanting to do that work. Wishing they were not mm-hmm. doing that, wishing they were somewhere else. Yeah. Immediately, uh, springs to mind Stan Lee always wanted to be in the movies and didn't want to do comics, but he yeah. had to do comics. So yeah. there you go. And then all the Marvel stuff came out. But yeah, I wonder how many creators are like that, just like, mmph, just doing this because I got to. And then they yeah. do this amazing work, which is what they'll always be remembered for. I th- Well, I think that's true. I'd, I would have to know more. Like, I don't really know enough creator stories. Then, me, you, then you should research things. I should. I should do more research. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of people that, you know, but to, to me, most of the artists that I know that they love doing it, they did it out of love. I don't think Charles Schultz, for instance, is someone that ever but he never, hated. Yeah, he never Yeah, he never uh, quit, though, whereas uh, someone like Stan Lee did stop, yeah, you know, when yeah, they could yeah. and, uh, and took off. But yeah. Sure. Well, there's all that money in cameos. So. <laughs> That's true. Um, Hergé's one to talk. He's not talking at all. <laughs> but I always do enjoy a Hergé cameo. So... Uh, what Hergé said was, he said the cartoons all started as fun, which is true. When he started, it was just a week, 
a weekly thing that he, he thought of the day he did it. You know, he just threw it together, drew Mickey Mouse style planes and Mickey Mouse style cars. Right. He didn't feel obligated to research every vehicle and every plane that appeared and make sure that the helicopter was an actual helicopter. Those were all accretions. Over time, these were added pressures that he put on himself. Right. To, you know, so people couldn't criticize him for drawing a boat that wouldn't float and things like that. So he says, yeah, the cartoons all started as fun. Then they became a job. Now I feel I have to take care because of their importance to children. So that, you know, it has no meaning to him. The meaning that it has is how he feels other people look at it, mm -hmm. you know. And Bob DeMoore said, as the years went by, he was pleased that I could be there at the studio in his absence. Now and then he had the courage to start work again, which I think is an interesting word to use. Now and then, so the idea that he dreaded going to the studio so much, and that's true. Before he started drawing a, a Tintin book, or whenever he had to sit down and draw Tintin, mm -hmm. he still would ha break out in eczema, and his skin would split on his hands. So he would be drawing with these bloody hands with, you know, all this all these uh, rash on it and all cut and swollen and, and bleeding. And it was like this uh, physical manifestations of his feelings. Like, you know, he was like possessed by Tintin. Like he was like, you know, yeah. Reagan, you know, uh, possessed by the, in, uh, by the devil in the movie The Exorcist. The same kind of idea, this thing inside trying to get out of him, you know, and the only way it could is through his skin, you know. Well, so. that's, that's, okay, I just got to throw in this because it's just <laughs> stupid for me not to. This year I was going through a lot of stress about work and whatnot. Yeah. And, yeah, they thought I had eczema, but I had psoriasis. It's the same thing. And, yeah, my hand split open as well. Yeah. Same thing. It's just like stress will just make you go. Internalized stress. Internalized stress. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you'd punch more people, like Tintin does. Right. You'd be better off. Particularly the headbutt to the stomach. I Maybe recommend. I should turn down more money like Tintin does as well. <laughs> just get really angry at people that offer me money and just throw that, them throw them out the door. That seems to be the way to riches. Yep. Uh, or have a dog with you at all times. <laughs> that guy's soothing. You know, everyone everyone lives longer with a dog. It's true. Especially if the dog gnaws through your ropes when you're about to be killed. Then you really do live longer if you have a dog. <laughs> That's actual evidence of living <laughs> yeah. longer. That's true. So yeah, now and then he had the courage to start work again. He said, I am responsible as the studio head. The studio for him was something depressing. He would say, I have to come back. There are people that are waiting for me. So, you know, it's no longer a pleasure. It's an obligation mm -hmm. for what he's doing. Uh, his books were selling in the millions now by this point in his yeah. career. Like he's rolling in the dope. Right. Uh, and they had started a schedule now where they're working like way ahead, 25 to 30 weeks ahead of a publication date in order to give these big... Uh, like a big kind of cushion for his sudden absences. So, right. You know, when he felt like disappearing, he could. And it wouldn't really affect the project because they had these big built-in... Now, is he getting a good cut of this or is it all going back into the magazine? Um, is I, he a millionaire at this point? Oh, yeah. But the magazine, not... I mean, the magazine, I'm. he got a... He had a... He only had a 10% interest in the magazine. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have a huge interest in the magazine. 50% of his own by, by uh, LeBlanc... Is his name? Gee, I forgot his name now. The, uh, gosh, can you remember what it was? Raymond? I can't. I'm sorry. Sorry. You I can actually take a sorry, pause. Folks. You could look it up if you want. It's okay. But my question there, but they, he was... He owned 50. The publisher owned 50. Right. There was another guy who owned 40%, okay. who put money in at the beginning. He was probably getting paid, though, for And he got 10%. Stories, he got a story. He got a page rate. Yeah. And he probably got a pretty good page rate. I would assume uh, you write Tintin and Tintin but, Magazine, you get a pretty good page rate. But then they were collected and published by Casterman, and that's where the real sales were. That's where the millions of, of, okay. of books were being sold, was but he was, But he was making good money, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just so, uh, so often what happens oh, yeah. with artists is, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, you do it for fun, then mm -hmm. the money comes, then you're making the money, and it's like, okay, well, now you've got more money than you can spend, so it's not about money anymore. What is it? Respect. 
do yeah. pe- are people taking me seriously? And then you start caring about that stuff, and then that seems to be what drives you crazy. And mm-hmm. you see this in all sorts of the arts, from music to, to uh, television, yeah. film, uh, anything. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, true. And I think that's part of part of it for him was that, and I mean, that's probably part of why he swallowed up all the credit under the kind of Hergé name. But that's all, yeah, that's because what's important. Because sp- split that, split the credit of, of his achievements. They won't respect been, you. They'll think yeah. it's the other guy doing it. Exactly. It's like, clearly he's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now with this story, uh, even though we'd kind of built this big studio and had Martin, had Leloup, it was basically him and Bob Demore who put together this story. So Hergé found the uh, kind of the story matter from a few different sources and kind of put it together into a, into an outline. And then he and Bob Demore sat down and kind of figured it all out and, and wrote a story using all these different elements. Uh, and so there's a few different um, there's a few different um, elements that went into it. So one was obviously the inspiration was the article that he'd read or a few articles that he'd read relating to the concerning the traffic in human slaves. Uh, so he read this article about this um, it was an airline, an Arabian controlled airline that was taking uh, black pilgrims, like African p- pilgrims, that were going to Mecca and it was diverting the planes and selling them into slavery. So this was actually something that was happening in 1956. And so they also were shipping them on ships, and they were altering the manifest, claiming that the cargo was coal. And then, uh, so that was part of it. And so then he also had, um, another thing that he had read at the time that kind of crept into the story was he had read a book by a friend called Felicia Marceau about Honoré Balzac, the writer. And what Balzac, it was called Balzac and Samoan, Balzac and his world. And, uh, what where the writer talked about that interested Hergé and was something that he was already kind of doing was was when Balzac when he wrote the human comedy he took all these early characters and he reintroduced them into this kind of massive novel and it kind of enriches the novel because there's characters that you already know and they're they, you know sort of brought back again so that you don't need to spend a lot of time on backstory or if right. you do it it kind of further enriches the characters and makes them more it gives them a kind of a false depth as well okay because you because it's been a while since you read about them, you assume a depth to their character that's not necessarily there. Because you're like, oh, that person's come back again. And then you start imagining the journey that brought them from where you first heard about them to now you see them again. And so it, you're bringing the, the dimensions to those right. characters. And it's the same that Ergé was doing. When Ergé bringing in these characters, uh, and there's a lot of them that return in this, in this book, mm-hmm. he's, it's, uh, so we can talk about who's in it. So obviously Rastopopoulos yep. reappears, uh, from, and so he's already been a couple of times. Scars of the Pharaoh and the Blue Lotus. Uh, Oliviera de Fuguera. I know I'm not saying his name right. De Fuguera. Oh, I'm going to say it way worse than you. So, <laughs> and uh, so he was Scars of the Pharaoh again and Land of Black Gold. And then General Alcazar mm-hmm. appears again. He's been in a lot. He's a guy you wouldn't think would make a lot of returns, but boy, that guy yeah. comes back. Huh? Yeah. And even just in a minor way. But, you know, instead of having his character, let's use him as an example, instead of having just a, a, a random character for that role, it kind of enriches that that very small role in the story because you know why he's buying planes from Dawson. Yeah. Because uh, because he needs to you know continue this long running feud with Tap- General Tapioca, and so that you know gives the story this extra dimension. Yeah, it's much richer. It, yeah, uh, it really yeah. Uh, solidifies the world. That's right. Castafiore's so, in it. Yeah, Bianca Castafiore returns again. Uh, Ellen. Comes back again mm-hmm. from he was in Cigars of the Pharaoh. But what's interesting is that he was retroactively added to Cigars of the Pharaoh when it was re when it was redrawn for color publication. Oh, is that right? So he wasn't in the original black and white version, but because it added more depth to that story as well, to have him working with Rastapopoulos, who's the villain of Cigars mm-hmm. of the Pharaoh, you know, then 
you can kind of retroactively create this sort of a, a unified Tintin universe that was never there at the beginning, but only kind of incidentally happened over time. That you know, because Hergé did not plan out his stories the way that say Balzac was doing, or the way that Trollope did. To bring yeah. Trollope again, can't have a show without Trollope. You know, where you have these characters that are reappearing in different stories and help to fill in this kind of an overall world that they're populating. Hergé didn't think about his world that way. I mean, Kemed, the country of Kemed that appears in this story and was in Black Gold, it's only in this story that he sat down and figured out like a geography of Kemed and actually drew out a map to kind of give himself a, a geographical sense of where things were. Before that time, I was just winging it. I'll just put this here and yep. we won't worry about it because it doesn't really matter. But in this case, he felt like, well, we need to have some geographical sense of where they're going, where they are in the Red Sea, you know, stuff like that. That's, that's, I mean, the comics I grew up on were pretty much all, again, Marvel and DC, and they would always wing it, justify it later, yeah. or let the fans justify it. Then when you hear what the fans say, oh, yeah, I guess those two are cousins. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they're cousins. They've all been, always been cousins. Yeah, sure. Makes sense. And it yeah. adds, and that's the thing. And that kind of monthly process, uh, of reappearing and reappearing and stuff like that. I mean, if you're going to complain about characters reappearing in Tintin, then you've never read superhero comics. Right. Because that's a constant recycling of characters. It's funny, the mistake that a lot of new uh, creators make is they try to start off with, I'm going to have a whole universe yeah. of all these rich characters that keep coming back. It's like, that's not how you do it. You do, you write the stories first, and then the connections come later. And then as you read, you'll go like, oh, obviously this was all planned from the start. Yeah. It's like, no, of course not. <laughs> So uh, Ben Kalisha Zab appears again, and his son Abdullah. So that's their return. Then we have interesting characters that appear, but don't interact with Tintin. One of those being Dawson, who we last saw on the Blue Lotus. He okay. was the police chief of the International Settlement. And then the other is uh, Dr. Mueller. Mm-hmm. He appears in this again, this time as, as Mul Pasha. So he's working for, uh, for Bab El-Air. Now that's another interesting character too, because there's characters that are mentioned that then go unseen. So they're just going to mention in passing. So... Um, those would be Babelair, and then also General Tapioca. So characters that we've met before, we know who they are, we know that they're, we know their history, but we don't actually see them. But they kind of just they're mentioned, so we know their yeah. role in the story. Yeah, you know? it's a. I don't want to say it's fan service, but it's a fan enrichment. Uh, if you get it, you get it, and yeah. you it makes things better. And if you yeah. don't get it, you don't care. It's just a name, and you brush over it. So it, it can go both ways because you can have it uh, as a way to sell books in the past. So people go, oh, I haven't read that book, but I'm interested mm-hmm. in who that character is, so I'll have to pick up. Land of Black Gold, you know, next time I'm in a store and I'll maybe read that one though, or the library. Or though there's no, nothing in here, uh, there's no asterisks like in previous books mm-hmm. going, this character was seen previously in Land of Black Gold or what have yeah, you. Yeah, You know, you're pretty That's much, true. especially so, yeah, when you a, were reading them as a, as a young man. Uh, this is the first book I read. Okay, gotcha. But like, so you're reading them and all these characters are coming up and you've got no idea that these are characters mm-hmm. from previous books. But it really doesn't matter because... It's, there's no dependency on other stories. No, to but it's like a, it's almost like a slow fuse bomb, and that it pays off later when you're reading the previous books and going, yeah. "Oh, Alan, oh, that's right. Oh, then this. Oh, well, then I see that. Oh, that's with General sure. Alcazar. All right. Sure. And then it makes you want to read all of them yeah. to get the full uh, jigsaw puzzle picture. The other possible reason for all the characters appearing is the fact that Hergé was now working with younger fans of that's his true. work, who you know, it's kind of like when um, what is his name uh, who took over. Conway was that his name? The uh, no, Thomas. Talk- Jerry. Uh, Are you talking Roy Thomas? Roy Thomas. Yeah, when Roy Thomas took over for Stan Lee as the writer for like Spider Man and stuff like that, mm-hmm. the stories had a way different feel and how characters return and stuff like that. And it was more. It was a different fanish. Jerry Conway sense. was a writer on Spider Man as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking Roy Thomas. So because okay. reading, uh, re- having read it through like the essential Spider Man, reading all the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, mm-hmm. then the Romito ones and stuff, you can really see a change in the writing and the 
pleasure of the reading of the writing uh, when Roy Thomas start, takes over and there's a different way it's, it's written and I feel like when fans kind of take over things they're, they they like the deep cuts yeah so they want to kind of go deep and the, whereas the original writer you know he just wants everything very surface and very simple because that's what he's been doing ever since he started writing he never thinks about it in terms of the history of and how these things interconnect and this universe and things like that you know that's not interesting to them that's all an afterthought as you said so it's more a young person's game that kind of let's bring back so and so because we haven't seen such and right. such in such a long time. Where's Rastapopoulos? He's you know, you know the only only character they didn't bring back was Bird. <laughs> yeah, still unexplained. Flew the coop. He's out there somewhere. Yep, he's just watching all this happening. <laughs> I will return. Uh, yeah. So we, I guess we'll just say one last thing before we start reading the story. Sure. Which is that. For Erge, one of the one of the pleasures he had in, in writing this book. Oh, sorry, did you it. did you mention Wag came back as well? Oh, should I should have mentioned him as well? Yeah, okay, Wag. There you That's go. right. Continue. Thanks. Because I mean, yeah, there's yeah, because Wag becomes almost a, a continual character as well. It kind of joins the cast of Fiori. Wag of almost comes into the end and is like, "Hey, folks, need a punchline? Yeah, it's me, Wag. <laughs> Here with your punchline, sir. There you are. Enjoy the end." Panel. Well, he has a couple of purposes. We can talk about it in sure, the sure. reading, but so. Erge was very pleased with this story because he felt in a way that it atoned for Tintin in the Congo. And that that book was very patronizing, very patriarchal, very condescending. Let's even say that's very racist in mm-hmm. some elements. Uh, and he felt like this book atoned for that in the sense that it had, you know, it took black people and it had, you know, them not being dumb, not, you know, just being re- normal people in a bad situation. But, you know, in a way, Tintin rescuing them, not condescending to them in the in the way that... Well, one of the things I liked about it was you've never, like, you've seen uh, the captain get angry. Mm-hmm. Like, the captain's bit is he gets angry at everything. Everybody. Yeah. But you have never seen him get as angry as he as he has at a slave trader. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, this is, this <laughs> is his, you know, equivalent yeah. of calculus and the goat line. Yeah. This is just, no, no. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, is which is great. Yeah, it is a good it's a good sequence too, and it's done in a funny way. It's not just it's, it is a funny way, but you're not, like it's this, not mawkish or yeah. you know. Now it's time for the message. It's yeah. not like that. Is the very, captain's seen yeah. a lot of things in his life? This is the worst type of human there is. Sure. Yeah. So four years after the publication of of uh, the Red Sea Sharks or Kogan uh, Stock, he was attacked in 1962. He was attacked by a, a magazine called Jeune Afrique, Young Africa who attacked him for the portrayal of the blacks in this story, in the sense that he had them speak in a sort of pidgin English, mm-hmm. instead of in, as I guess, all speaking, let's not say pidgin English, pidgin French, to be truthful. So he had them speak in a sort of pidgin French, uh, and, a, and, sort of, and the sort of idea of how colonial blacks spoke in Africa. You know, so it's monsieur, not saying monsieur, and stuff like that, right? And, uh, which is fair in a way. I mean, I'm sure that these sort of stereotypes start because that's how people actually spoke right. at that time period or did speak at some point that there were educated blacks and there were uneducated black people from Africa and mm-hmm. that they had different speech patterns. I'm sure blacks that went to England and studied and became doctors and returned to become, you know, working government and, you know, spoke in a very different accent than people who never left the country and, you know, spoke a mix of, of English or French and their native language. Uh, and, and unlike the, the Arabic in this story, which is pure nonsense, is just, Arabic-looking writing. Uh, he actually went to the trouble of having a friend from a different magazine. It was called uh, L'Afrique et Le Mans, Africa and the World. He translated some of the words uh, into Yoruba, which is a, a language spoken in Nigeria in the West Africa area. And so, it's so giving it sort you know so that kind of shows a, a what's the word I'm looking for a 
a diligence and attempt at least to make them fully rounded characters mm-hmm. you know it's weird when you mention that because there's a scene, and again, we'll get to it, but I'm just going to get to it real quick, where uh, the captain actually says to someone uh, who is a non-black person, but yeah. says, uh, you know, why don't you speak English like everyone else? <laughs> like, okay. It's like, yeah. it's true. Everyone in this world does speak the same language Tintin speaks, whether that is French or English or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But it doesn't happen. What the heck? Yeah. What's going on? So Don't you know how this works? So so then Hergé, you know, defended himself, and so... Then after everyone took, the, you know, what he said and they considered it and they said, well, you're right. You're not racist against blacks. You're racist against Arabs. And I guess at that point, he's just like, well, you cannot win. Mm-hmm. I can't win. So whatever. But he did change the way they spoke. He actually, he changed uh, in the later French edition in 1967. He changed how they spoke actually to more like a, a what he did was he took a, a translated Chester Himes novel. Chester Himes was a black writer from America. He wrote uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem would be one of the book, books that he wrote. Kind of, I think the character's name was, like, it's like a Ed Gravedigger Jones or something like that. The character has Coffin in his name. I've, it's been a while since I read. Okay. I read a couple of the books when I was younger. So they take place in Harlem. They're two police officers uh, of a very kind of, uh, very, um, what do you call it? unorthodox policing methods, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he took the, the translated black speech from that and he used it to, to, make these Africans speak that way, which is kind of weird too. Why, why would they be speaking like they're blacks from Harlem? Yeah. But that's what he did. And then he also took that moment to uh, make uh, the letter that um, the, that the Amir writes to, to Haddock, he made it more ornate and florid. Uh, just to make it more like that kind of, you know, very ornate speech that you could imagine a, right. a well-educated Arab, you know, probably educated in England at that time, uh, speaking, you know, or writing. So... So he did, and that, but that didn't change because this book was published. The one we're reading was published in '60. The translation was done in '60 and was never updated. So we don't get those changes. We get the original kind of pigeon, oh, okay. pigeon English, and then the kind of very blunt letter as well. Uh, so yes, and with that, I think we can start to All right. read. Let's begin with. Do you want to begin with the first image, which is the boat? Well, the first image true. is the cover image. Well, the first is, is that's true. Fair enough. Uh, I do like Snowy's looking at us. I always like uh, <laughs> when Snowy's looking at us. No, it's a real good uh, dramatic uh, cover. You love Hershey's water. Yes, it does have that going There's a lot of that going on in, in this nice, cover. nice water there. I don't know who the fella is in the middle, but he looks uh, kind of tough guy because he's got a, one, a patch over his eye. Well, you know who Bomber he is because I hope you read the story. You're not yeah, gonna... yeah, but I'm talking about it by oh, looking okay, at, uh, look look at, at the it. cover. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird choice, actually. It would be funny if you just outed me as having not read any of these books. <laughs> I've still not read any of them. Until you just read them on the day we do the podcast. Yeah, that's right. Along. Let's see. I'm doing my homework like in class while uh, <laughs> the teacher's looking at me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good action-packed cover. It, 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 it really, you're in danger. Uh, you you want to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And then the inside image... It kind of ups the sense of danger because now you have a uh, ship being viewed through a periscope, mm-hmm. which you know kind of has a sense of oh, submarine torpedoes. So that, that's as good. That's now good it's as well. uh, it's fun on the first page because we're starting <clears> off. <throat> the very first image that you see is the end. Yes, that is good. What's interesting? And I though, like that you're looking at the rear end of a horse <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think that was in, yeah, that was probably intentional actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's interesting, this is the one change between the magazine version and this version. What's happening? In the magazine version, there was actually four panels above it that were Jolly on Wag calling uh, Marlin Spike to speak to Captain Haddock, who isn't there, who's at the movies. And so you just get Jolly on Wag's side of the conversation on the phone. And, you know, so he's talking away, you know, filling in, making his little comments, 
uh, not you know not home is he's at the movies. Which movie is he seeing? Oh, he's seeing such and such. Oh, okay. And so you get his point of view, and then you know then he starts talking about his uncle Anatole, and then it cuts. <laughs> The final panel is Nestor, who's put the phone down and is just reading a book. Well, you know, there's conversations coming out of the phone from Wag, this sort of endless conversation. That's a pretty good joke. And it is a good joke, only it doesn't work because yeah. we have to have Captain Haddock come home to find Abdullah there. And so it doesn't make sense why, he, why, why would Nestor be relaxing That's when he true. has Abdullah, which is the joke of Abdullah, is that he's running Nestor ragged. So it really doesn't work that way. It would work okay in a story where you have a week and the next week you turn the page, and the next week you turn the page, and maybe five weeks later you finally get the reveal of, of Abdullah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's okay, because you've kind of forgotten about that scene. But when you're reading the story, it would come too quickly. Right. So I think that's why it was taken And out. again, I, I really love starting a story with the end. That's yeah. good stuff. Yeah, it is good. And then... Uh, I, what is I, this, Monty Python? And <laughs> it's true. I also really enjoy watching Tintin put on his coat. You know that. I mean, ideally, he's running when he's putting on his coat. But, yeah. but he's putting on his coat and uh, talking about the film they just saw. Yeah. Uh, Captain just thinks it's so-so. You know, uh, <laughs> his review basically is it was uh, it was unrealistic. But And Tintin mentions that the lead looks like uh, Alcazar. General, General Alcazar. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh, no, it's just uh, it's uh, improbable. The uh, the uncle uh, hasn't seen his nephew in 20 years. He starts thinking about him. He shows up. That's completely unrealistic. Uh, go around the corner uh, as they're, by the way, talking about, you know, uh, Alcazar. And uh, boom, who's there? General Alcazar. There you are. In a nice uh, sporty hat, <laughs> salmon coat. Yes. Who says, caramba. That's right. And he doesn't seem all that uh, up for catching up with Tintin. Tintin wants to, gives him his business card, uh, but he really seems like he's uh, wanting to get out of there. Uh, tells well, he's him always that- kind of cold to Tintin, though. Like, even when they met in uh, Seven Crystal Balls, when he was uh, Ramon Zarata, the, the knife thrower, I, th- I felt he was very cold to Tintin in those, in those stories as I well. I didn't know if that was just a cultural thing. It could be. Who knows? Uh, be. But he, uh, he tells uh, Tintin he's at uh, uh, the Hotel Bristol. I'll tell you a cultural thing. What's that? Wearing a pink suit. <laughs> sure. That is... Wearing a he salmon looked, pink suit look is a cultural him. He looks thing. good in it, though. You can't, yeah, yeah. T- you can't deny it. Oh, no. So, uh, I'm giving it to him. So, yeah, he's gets, a hipster. Gets a little bit of the cold brush off. Looks like the captain's not really enjoying uh, seeing this cold brush off. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Tintin notices that uh, the general forgot his wallet, and uh, the chase is on. Yes. So uh, chase him to the hotel, but nope, no General Alcazar uh, there. Uh, Tintin uses his drawing skills to draw a picture of the general. Yeah. Uh, nope, does not know him at all. Very strange. So it's time to go to a cafe and uh, talk about it. Uh, Captain wants to order uh, probably some alcohol. <laughs> Blocked by Tintin, who orders two glasses of ginger beer. Yes. Yes, indeed. Very nice. And then you get a nice frame of, um, of European money. Yeah, which I think is really well, really well drawn, as far as my knowledge of European money goes, which is not very far. Now they've opened the wallet. We see pound notes, French and Belgian money, a hotel bill, four-leaf clover, a lottery ticket from San Theodoros. Uh, but as they say, nothing to give them a lead, except in an envelope. There's photos of aircraft. Yeah, uh, mosquitoes. Is that what they're called? Yeah, the De Havilland DH ninety-eight. Right. A great plane. If you are a fan of planes, then you have to be a fan of the Mosquito. Oh, okay. Because it was like the everything plane of World War II. It was a light bomber. It was it was a night fighter, a, a day. It was a scout plane. Are you saying the Mosquito was all the buzz? It was all the buzz. <laughs> and it was made of wood, which is even more... Wow. Which is crazier. Yeah, it was made of balsa wood. Oh, what? Yeah, the outside of it was... Uh, so it's one of the few planes that is made of the same stuff that the model of it would be made yeah. of. Well, the, the frame was made of like birch and... and 
and other woods, but the actual skin of it was was balsa wood. Very light. Yes. Uh, so then they find a uh, a letter. Why don't I throw it over to you and you can read the letter? Oh, I'll read the letter because it's very short. Thank you. Uh, it says, Friday, dear sir, please telephone PIC eight five two four between ten and twelve p.m. Ask for Mister Debrett. Regards, JDMC. Mm-hmm. So we're wondering who does this JDMC, and then uh, so Tintin asks. Well, first, he asks, the general's address isn't here. He goes, I know, but I'll ring up the number, says Tintin, given in the letter. So he rings up PIC 8524, asks to speak to Mr. Debrett. Who am I? A friend of Elkosar. I Hello? Hello? The person's hung up. So now it's even more mysterious. Why would they hang up the phone when someone calls them? By the way, a nice drawing of the payphone. Yes, and Tintin saying... Makes me miss them. There's politeness for you. I'll take <laughs> you to a local library. They have them there. Uh, not those kind, though. Uh, so Tintin's, yeah, very odd. They don't know of him in the number. Too bad. Well, we better be getting home to Marlin Spike. And when they get to Marlin Spike, a dramatic entrance from Snowy, uh, looking <laughs> like he's in a scene from Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind? Oh, I was thinking because he looks like he's going to the Andes because he's wearing that Oh, that's very true. That Let's go with Snowy it's, going to the Andes. It's as though, uh, it's as though someone dug up in Tintin's chest of, of memorabilia his trip to the Andes in Seven Crystal Balls and dressed up uh, Snowy. In <laughs> and poor Snowy seems to be crying as well right yeah, now. So, so uh, the captain, uh, while Tintin tends to his poor dog, captain storms inside and gets a bucket of water on the head. The first of a of a, the- of a theme, a running theme of gags in the story, right. which I like. I like a gag that repeats, but I particularly like a gag that uses a motif, and that is water. There's a lot of water in the puss in this story. So. Once again, you love the Hergé water. <laughs> Uh, following up on this, which will be a series of jokes about, not jokes, but, uh, uh, large, uh, large, uh, cats, uh, we see what appears to be a tiger's head coming around the door. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tintin jumps back in shock, uh, and it's Abdullah! Even more, even more has me to jump back in shock. Uh, yes, of course, the captain is first incredulous, then surprised, and Abdullah wraps his arm around his middle, giving him a big hug because he loves blistering barnacles so much. Yeah. And then blistering barnacles, Captain Haddock falls onto his bum and proceeds to bounce down his stone steps down to the bottom. And Abdullah is so excited. Blistering barnacles fall downstairs again. <laughs> oh, uh, Captain Haddock is so mad. Until but, he finds out. Yeah, there's until a he present. Finds out. Abdullah has a present for him. Because you know what? There is a sucker born every minute. Yeah. I mean, the captain's so touched, he's crying. You know, the mood swings on this guy. <laughs> he opens it up, and it appears to be a cuckoo clock that's way too big for the box. He just handed it to him. Then. Uh, and, uh, he gave it to him in the TARDIS. Maybe. Uh, and uh, the cuckoo uh, comes out. But wait, it's not a cuckoo. It's water in the face. Again, second water gag. Okay. The first, crazy thing about the water, though, in the face when it's being sprayed like that, are the two eyes yeah, floating the in the midst of the eyes. Yeah, this is great. It makes it the best. The best. Yep. So the captain grabs uh, Abdullah by the arm. He starts giving his wah. And uh, he's told uh, by another gentleman there, uh, Halt thou, touch not the son of my master. Yes. Yes. And he says, uh, well, of course, Haddock wants to know who he is. He says, Me Hasim, servant to his highness, Prince Abdullah. And I bring you message from my master. So now I'll tell you the French version, the original version. Or like, sorry, the actual French version goes, uh... This is to tell you, O highly esteemed friend, that I entrust to you, Abdullah, my adored son, because here the situation is serious. Should misfortune descend on me like the hawk on an innocent gazelle, for the world is is made of life and death, I am sure that Abdullah will find you with warmth and affection, refuge and peace, and in doing this you will be performing a fragrant act before Allah. So that was a rewritten letter that uh, changes from the rather abrupt one. uh, Do hawks kill gazelles? 
Uh, I guess so. Apparently, uh, it's a big hawk. Only innocent. Only only innocent. Only gazelle. innocent gazelle. Yeah. If it's sinned in any way, if it's sinned in any way, it's it's fine. Fair enough. No hawk could kill it. So the captain uh, uh, lights his pipe, and it's uh, shot out by a sucker gun. Uh, and then uh, the chase is on. <laughs> Captain uh, chasing Abdullah, once again being told, Halt thou, touch not the son of my master. Uh, responds, touch not, touch not. Uh, you arabesque, you. Uh, do you imagine I'm going to let that little pest raise cane in my house? All right, and off he goes to give him a whooping. Yes. Uh, as, you, as you have to do with, you know, whether you feel spanking's right or wrong, uh, that kind of brat. You gotta <laughs> yes, take care of a little bit of it. Pretty much chains in a dungeon or what? Yeah, that's right. right. Pretty not, much. Not too far. So, uh, we see that in the stateroom, uh, more company has come from mm. the homeland, uh, has set up our cooking a chicken. Roasting yeah. a chicken over a it's, fire. It's almost as disturbing an image as the Wag family sitting in the sitting room that we had in the end of the calculus affair. Yeah, you almost wish that the Wags had stayed, just so we could see how these two groups <laughs> would have interacted. Uh, then you could just have Tintin and the captain leave, and let's just focus on them yeah. for a while. Because things like the fact that they've rolled up the carpet and piled chairs up on the edge of the to you know move furniture out of the way in order to set up their tents, mm-hmm. and uh, the tents are pegged to the floor, so they've actually had to nail. He's you know, to destroy the floor. Yeah, it's hardwood floor. This isn't, you know, garbage here. They're not in a, not in my house. It's not a plywood. This is, this is an actual nice old. They got their floor. hookahs out. Uh, a whole bunch of business is going down. But yeah. It's a nice visual. It is. Let's go to the next morning and uh, we catch uh, the captain in his uh, nice luxurious bathtub. It's not even that luxurious. I think it's fairly luxurious. It's not that luxurious. It's well, it's the equivalent to mine, and that is no. Oh, no Mister Fancy Tub. It's not I guess that we fancy. know Dave has a fancy. Listen, everybody, fancy. just look at uh, the captain's tub and know that Dave has one that's. Equivalent. It's not that fancy. Fancy man. Uh, so he is uh, spraying water at his toes. Yes. A, a clean man. Good for mm-hmm. him. Uh, here's the phone ring, and then without thinking, uh, puts the sprayer to his ear <laughs> like it's a phone. And uh, there it's a blast of water. a bunch of blast of water. Once again, continuing the motif of yeah. getting sprayed. Maybe we should have had the eyeballs in that shot. Maybe not. Who knows? Uh, he goes. It wasn't full. It wasn't full in his face though. Oh, yeah, so it's in the side it's of a side face. shot. So that's, that's fair. That's, yeah. uh, he goes to answer the phone, and uh, oh, it's uh, for Mister Cuts the Butcher. <laughs> the joke from uh, the last issue. Good it's stuff. Still good though. Lots of swears as he leaves. Uh, goes back in the tub. Uh, the phone rings again. State of mind. Uh, comes back, and uh, we see that it's the it's Thompson and Thompson mm-hmm. on the other end. Uh, he's going well. He's he must be asleep. Uh, but then uh, he angrily answers. Uh, Thompson says, are you not disturbing you, am I? Uh, no, not in the least, says the very dripping, soaking wet captain. And, um, sorry, yes. I'm just laughing at that, that image. Apparently <laughs> they want to, uh, talk to Tintin. It is good. And, uh, say, right, what? Uh, do we know General Alcazar? Uh, yes. Why? Huh? What? You'll explain it to Tintin later? Good. What? No. No trouble at all. Ring up when I'm in the bath, I ask you. Back, back he goes. Now here's a weird part of the story. What's that? Uh, the cal- calculus's role in this story is is very odd, I think. Uh huh. Because you know we've had the last. He went to the moon. Sure did. Pretty impressive. Got kidnapped. He invented an ultrasonic device that could possibly destroy buildings. Sure, sure. If it was developed further. This story, he's working with roller skates. Well, no, does that not, okay? That actually does make sense to me. <laughs> okay. No, here's wait. the logical thing. Okay. Uh, you 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 build the rocket to go to the moon. Yes. There you go. And now you're building a device, uh, and so that's successful. Yeah. Comes down. Uh, then, then you. But there build- is a lot of drama around it. I can see where you're drama. going. Yeah, I, I can see where you're going. Someone now, died. Okay. Two people died. That's right. Because you went to the moon. The next thing you realize, this device that you're creating will will cause the death 
of thousands to millions, millions of people, yeah. what's the next thing you want to create? Yeah. Silly putty. You want to make something <laughs> stupid, right? You want to make something that's goofy, that's okay. not going to hurt anybody. Okay. Like if he was working on something that gets turned into a death ray again, you'd go, this guy don't learn from nothing. <laughs> but yeah, what are you going to work on? Roller skates. Okay. I'm going to work on super roller that's skates. Good. I like that. I like that you, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you made sense of that for me. Right. And also it's a good comedy shtick. It's very shticky because we haven't come in. First they hear him. They think it's Abdullah. Then we, it reveals, no, it's Calculus rolling in on roller skates. Uh, he's having some trouble balancing. Fortunately, Tintin is able to push a chair under him just as he lo- his feet go out from under him and he lands in the chair. And, uh, of course, cannot hear what anyone's saying because he's only slightly deaf in one ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a conversation at cross purposes, he and Captain Haddock. Then he goes off to have some breakfast and promptly falls down and knocks the entire table over. Yeah, he's not Comedy. doing Comedy. Yeah, he's not doing the thing that annoys me, which is where the person's yelling at him and he's not getting it at all. Yeah. 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 No, the door. You want to eat schmores? No. <laughs> just, clearly you're not picking up on any <laughs> physical clues. Yeah, yeah. Uh so uh yes. Uh the doorbell rings. Uh Captain thinks it's the Thompsons. Uh No, no, he doesn't think he thinks oh, it's sorry. Abdullah. Oh. He thinks it's Abdullah at the door cuz No, no. I got the t- I got on the bottom of page 8. Uh, where, uh, where the captain's turning and going, the Thompsons already? Oh, oh, and then it, but, so, sorry, but then it rings again. Oh, okay. And who rang that He says, I found no one, sir. First time, sir, but the second time I saw Abdullah running away. Ah, okay, understood. Because we've seen a series of rings. There's a ring on the bottom of page eight. There's a ring on the top of page nine on the first panel. Right. Then there's a third ring. And he says, I bet that's him, but he won't get away with it this time. Nestor, go and bring the hose pipe. So, so this is a, how long are the Thompsons waiting at the door for, Nestor to hook up the pipe outside, bring it around through the house to the front door. Now, as soon as he rings, you open the door, and then psht, we'll get a good laugh. Let me say, I'm going to justify Fourth this. ring. Yeah, let me justify why the hose pipe is inside. Okay. Because uh, Abdullah hooked it up to uh, fill up his uh, bucket of water earlier and just left it there. <laughs> just left it there. Abdullah's <laughs> not going to roll it back up, right? <laughs> no, He's going to do that. So, that's true. yeah. So, I mean, Abdullah needed help, by the way, getting that bucket on the door. So he probably got Nestor's help on no, that. No, no, no. He got one of his people that he... That's true. Just yeah, a grown person. Grown yeah, you're absolutely would, correct. They would do the bidding of their master. True. Uh, true enough. Anyway, please continue the joke. So the door doorbell rings. The captain had a, an evil look on his face. That's it. Quick, open the door, Nestor. He op- they open the door. He sprays outside and realizes as he's spraying, he's spraying the Thompson... The Thompsons, whose eyes are, of course, in the middle of the water, which their I like so much. Their hats go flying. Their hats go flying. Their canes go flying. And then they're left standing there drenching wet, dripping wet. But what's the best part of the scene, though, is that Abdullah laughs and he gets a, a face full of water. <laughs> yeah. And you see his eyes. You as see well. his eyes, too. Ah, I just love that image. It's so good. It's so good. So the Thompsons have come to talk about General Alcazar. And somehow they know that Tintin was, met him the night before. First, they ask him if they know who he is. He explains who he is. So, the reader, we the reader, can catch up if we haven't read The Broken Ear. We'll know who he is. Or uh, The Seven Crystal Balls. But it seems like Tintin's not giving them the whole story, or at least that's what they think. You know? Well, they inter- said- yes, they interrupt him and uh, say, uh, but you saw him last night. Aha, that surprised you, eh? You forgot my friend in our job. There's nothing we don't know. Thompson adds, to be precise, we know nothing in our job. Excellent. I like that kind of business. <laughs> yes, this is a later, later book. Uh, so yes, Tintin agrees that it's true they met last night and says, I was going to tell you. Uh, and then he gives them the uh, story that we already kind of know. And then, but he tricks the Thompsons by pretending he doesn't remember the name of the hotel. So they fill in the actual hotel name rather than the fake name that Alcazar gave him the night before. And so now he knows the actual hotel where Al- Alcazar is. Then we get a good bit of business with the uh, 
Okay, we learn that uh, someone's been smuggling aircraft. Yes. And that... Uh, we get the uh, dumbs the word joke again. Ah, so good. Yep, we now have had the hat trick of that joke <laughs> through a series of books. And now they go to leave, and then they discover that, uh, well, what Thompson discovers that his hat has shrunk, and the other Thompson discovers that his head is swollen. Yeah, quite the opposite. My head is swollen. They've yeah. got the exact same problem. Sure. They, of course, exchange hats. Yeah. Same, same joke in the French version. Very good. I like to check that out. I'm always, I'm always curious what the translators bring to the part and what, what Hergé brings. So. Now, this could realistically have happened with the whole hosing down, and maybe your hat would shrink in that kind of situation. <laughs> but why wouldn't the rest of their clothes? Uh, I don't know. Uh, then they, uh, then Tim Then it couldn't rain on a hat. Mm, that's a good point. <laughs> It's kind, Good of, point. kind of a useless thing to wear. True. <laughs> um, the, but it's actually a bunch of uh, newspapers folded up and slipped into the band of the hat. Yes. Oh, that Abdullah. Mm-hmm. One interesting thing in this scene is, um, well, at this time of Erge's life, he had a lot of disposable income. Mm-hmm. And he'd really discover... Stuff it into hats and trick people <laughs> into thinking exactly, they were small. <laughs> exactly right. That's how he'd pay his, his employees. They'd go to leave at the end of the day and their hats would never fit. They'd be like, oh, it's payday. Uh, no, he uh, he started uh, collecting art. He actually had a friend who was uh, an art art dealer, and he actually funded his gallery, mm-hmm. and with and he actually made sure that it was close to his offices, so he could like drop in and hang around and talk and look at art, and he could buy art there. And he was really fascinated with modern art. That was the art he loved the most. And so uh, in the back in the scene, you see an Alfred Sisley drawing or painting, Le Canal du Loing. He was a Sisley was an, uh, an impressionist, a French impressionist. Oh, okay. So you can see it behind them. There's trees. Yep. Yeah. So it's an actual painting. So it's kind of interesting that he's bringing in. Uh, and then I'll just skip ahead just a little bit. I know we'll go back. But when they get to the hotel, there's all this kind of modern and modern art on the walls as well. Uh, it's of no particular person. It's a sort of improvised modern art. But it's just interesting that it's starting to creep in yeah. as background images. This sort of interest that he had in, in this art. Um, Again, not wanting to assume things, but if uh, if you if the thing you're craving is respect and you're known as a children's mm. uh, you know uh, artist, yeah, uh, then maybe you throw those kind of things in and go, huh? Okay. Oh, see? Huh? see, well, he actually he actually did try and become a modern painter. He actually tried to become an, a painterly artist. He did it for about six months or so, and he realized that he didn't have that. You know, he would have to spend a long time yeah. learning this new thing you know it's something you can just pick up because oh i draw comics i can become a painter i was gonna say well as long as he spent six months on it he gave it a good shot that's good yeah yeah exactly not long enough i think nope. but he just realized at that, that moment you know you can't i mean you could do it as a fun hobby but you can never change your your metier and become a well you never know you never know what age was he doing this at 50s 50s who knows yeah sounds like the kind of story that people would go like and you know what he didn't until he was in his 60s and uh, yeah could have been uh, but we will we will not know. What we do know is what happens on page eleven. <laughs> yes. Which uh, in in the hat uh, there's a some of that newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an advertisement and it says uh, for sale aircraft, tanks, submarines, etc. Uh, further particulars from JDMC and uh, and then there's a, a box number uh, there. That seems an odd thing to. It does uh, seem odd, doesn't it? Advertise in the paper. It's almost like when you read about those... Um, what section of the paper would that be? I know, classifieds, obviously. Yeah. But what section of the classifieds do you put tanks under? Miscellaneous. <laughs> sure, okay. I guess, yeah, that's where the etc. comes in as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, the etc. Yeah. So, of course, Haddock finds this rather extraordinary. Why don't they add on easy terms? Which I like that, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then he's trying to figure out this JDMC. Ah, JDMC, yes. The initials they saw on the letter that they found in Alcazar's possession. 
or in his wallet. Now it's time for them to go to the Hotel Excelsior to see if they can, one, return their wallet, and also probably do a little spying. And, in fact, General Alcazar was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the clerk at the front desk just saw him go past. You'll find him in the lounge. And, in fact, he's there. <laughs> yeah. And he's there with Dawson, uh, who's a, who uh, Tintin informs the captain was a police chief uh, in the international settlement in Shanghai. Yeah. And there in the background, lurking behind the newspapers, the Thompsons. <laughs> yes. So subtle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least they're not in full costume. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know? Well, they are in full costume. They're in they're in their own country, so that that's is, a costume. That's a costume. Fair enough. Uh, so uh, this law looks pretty fishy, says Tintin. So his suggestion is that is that Haddock return the wallet, and Tintin will follow Dawson, and they'll meet up later. So he sees Dawson getting into a black jaguar, a Mark One. And he jumps into a taxi. Quick, follow the Black Jaguar. They're ahead of us. And what, so I just want to, I'm not going to name, this time I'm not going to name every car. Okay. Because uh, that would be tricky in this. I will, I will at the end. I'm going to do a big, big thing at the end. But uh, I just want to talk about this one because it's interesting because Le Loop was doing the, doing these cars. So we, you know, we've really drifted away from, from Hergé's beginnings as an artist where he was just drawing like nonsense yeah. vehicles, you know, things that looked like cars, but weren't actual, you know, specific vehicles. So here we have like this crazy mix of actual cars. So the car that, and also what I also like about it is that they're cars you've never heard of. So like the taxi that, that Tintin jumps into is a Panhardina. That's the, the dark blue car. Right. Beside it is a light blue. It's a Hanomag Tempo hand seat it was a three-wheel truck uh you don't see those very often no it was a german-made car across from it is a green van that was also uh hanameg it was a hanameg tempo the van yeah and then the orange vehicle with the the beige top is a good old simca versailles so you knew it was a classy car because it was named after versailles and simca we talked about last time you've never heard of simca in your life at least i never had before but it was a subsidiary of fiat uh it was produced in france and they so fiat were selling their own cars in france and then they're also producing simcas there as well which seems really weird hmm. uh, by the way looking down on the cars here this looks like the hardest angle to draw cars at yeah uh, of all mm-hmm. you know not on the side not, the, uh, not uh, just just at an angle exactly. from looking down and so it's easy for Hergé to just draw this in the roughs yeah just draw it as a good view in the roughs but it's up to le loop to to take it and make it into an actual yeah. drawing and i just but i just like the fact that he does le loop doesn't you know i think it's because that's all he's drawing he's not it's fine for him he can spend a little bit of time working out this the perspective and adding and drawing different sorts of vehicles right. saying you know what i really like the hanomeg tempo hand, hand seat i'm going to draw one of those in the corner of the drawing <laughs> so you get you get all in there the jaguar mark one We'll see it. You see a few of those, though. It's funny because in the first part of the story, when they're walking down the street, uh, a very, very uh, popular boulevard in in Brussels, the I think it's called the Torsion d'Or, the the Golden Tortoise is the name of the street. Okay. Uh, like Boulevard de Torsion d'Or or something like that. Um, man, I'm probably just murdering that. Sure, it's but fine. anyway, uh, you know that's an actual street. So the buildings and stuff like that were all of the time. It was quite close to the Hergé Studios. 
And then in that shot, there's a, a red Jaguar Merc one. So I guess that was a sort of, mm. it was the loop sort of his uh, signature toss off car, you know, kind of, I can draw the griddle of that car. It's an easy grill to draw. I know, the, only, the only way I could see like to draw that would be to buy all these model cars, mm-hmm. put them down, take a photo of it, and then try drawing yeah. that as best as possible, probably yeah. on a tracing board. That would be it mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, it's a really good drawing. So anyway, 15 yeah. minutes later. Well, even the fact that on the next page, uh, he draws the car turning into the into the the the, uh, the yard through the through the gate. That's a hard angle too. That to draw. is a hard angle. Tintin follows, as does Snowy. Uh, they've got to sneak past uh, the watchman, but he's an old timey watchman, mm-hmm. and you can just like crawl he's, past. He's dressed him. as night owl. <laughs> sure, smoking a pipe. <laughs> uh, he actually looks like he's Tintin in disguise to me. <laughs> it's true. Uh, he found Tintin's disguise kit. So uh, going through, uh, they see uh, one of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we we're and it's right. a mosquito. There you are, and uh, then uh, here's footsteps and someone going. What a plane! Morning, Gov. Seen the reporter today? No. Well, read that. Ah, bravo! The mosquitoes. We sold them. Uh, did a grand job. Those boys sure know how to make use of them. So someone's selling the mosquitoes. Yeah. There we are. So we cut to well, we cut. Well, he's selling them to someone. Yes, because we know who Dawson is. So right. You see him talking to yeah, this it's in fella. the bag. Twelve mosquitoes there, too, to help him chuck out his rival, General Tapioca. Suits us. Let them fight. So as long as we unload our junk, why worry? I'm saying a lot of stuff out loud that you probably know already. <laughs> anyway, says the person, you've said well, he it. he doesn't know about the sale to, to Alcazar. That's true. You said it. And he really did. Well, I'll see to the packing of those DC-3 uh, uh, spares for uh, Arabair. The good uh, old DC-3. That's right. Now they've got the green light over there. It looks like they're going to need them. It looks to me, and then... Ring, ring, this is a good... Ring, I love this. I like I like that uh, a roadblock is put into into Tintin's way. Everything's gone pretty smoothly here. Right. But I just like the fact that this roadblock's been put in his way just by the completely annoying Abdullah has put an alarm, hidden alarm clock in his pocket, which is actually a pretty good gag. Yeah. Actually. Like, you know. To me, that's great. Like, I'd be kind of fun. I guess the modern equivalent would be, unbeknownst to someone else, setting the timer on their phone to go off. As they're, you know, so they're they don't know you said it. So they're just walking down the road and suddenly Though their phone starts to. more jarring to have actually an alarm, an alarm clock, clock yeah, go off. Yeah. Yes. Yes, but it'd be hard to, to sneak that into someone's pocket. True. Um, uh, so uh, unless they're wearing a big ring. This jacket. almost gives away uh, Tintin. Uh, he runs off. He runs off, leaving the alarm clock behind. And uh, the two guys see the alarm clock. Now, I don't think they'd suspect there's someone there because no one would carry an alarm clock with them. It's just a weird thing. You see an alarm clock going off on the ground. Mm-hmm. You don't think, there must have been someone here holding an alarm clock. Yeah. Because that's not a thing. But Tintin allowed himself to be seen by the watchman. So That's true. So that's... Old uh, Shep the blind watchman. <laughs> so because the watchman, then you see the watchman and, and Dawson are standing true. looking down the street. And he says, a young lad with a white dog, you say. How did they manage to get in without you seeing? So that doesn't... The truth is, that's the end of that guy's job. Maybe we don't see, you know, him f- sitting in the bottom of the of the uh, local river with his foot in a bucket of concrete. Like that's the next part of the story that's not told. Oh, tough. The untold story. Oh, harsh. Of che- Shep, the night watchman. Uh, Tintin, of course, buys the classic Daily Reporter, mm-hmm. which he's been buying for a long time. And then he yells crumbs. Yes. Uh, to which people, whoa, such language. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't yell that nowadays because no. everyone's gluten free. Uh, so, uh, then he walks down the street saying, great, Scott, what will the captain think of this? Oh, hey, we're seeing Marlin Spike from this angle. No, it's the same angle. I know. That's oh, the- sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. Went over my head, everybody. That's all right. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> 
Uh, and a nice uh, panel to end this page on. Uh, someone is holding a gun and uh, yeah. aiming it at uh, Tintin. Let's, Dramatic, let's scary. Let's end the week. Let's end the week. Yeah. With that. What? Who? Who is it? And it's water in the face from Abdullah again, seeing the little uh, tiny eyes. And uh, oh, Abdullah, just wait till I catch you. <laughs> if I can just interrupt you for a second, since it's a natural break, it just reminds me of something that Hergé told his his uh, like Bob Demore and people who work for him how to draw trees or okay. or or you know the background scenery. He said, draw it, oops, draw it in five minutes, and then go back and work on it. Mm-hmm. You know, so he said, just draw it all out in five minutes and then go back and go over it. You know, and I thought that was interesting. That's a good way to draw, period. Yeah. 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 Draw it without thinking. Get the, uh, get the, get it, the, the feeling of it and then go out and make it right. So, uh, Tinsa says, poor kid. All the same, he's too young to realize how serious things are. Um, I, I do wonder at some point how old Tintin is in these stories. Just because there's a, there's a point in this story, I think, where the captain mentions that, you know, we met that guy years ago. It's like, you met him years ago? Well, then how old are you, Tintin? Uh, anyway, there's a bang coming from inside. And uh, the captain, oh, he's furious. Uh, the, the, he left a firework under his chair. Uh, oh, oh, just one other thing. I'm sorry. Oh, please, please. We have to go way back here. Sure. How far back? This is we- back to the when Tintin's Page following 10. the the, mar- the, the uh, jaguar. Sure. Because it says... Someone says, where are we off to now? And I'm assuming that's Snowy making the comment, because it doesn't sound like a Tintin comment. Because it has that kind of grumpy kind of, where are we off to now? Oh, no, no. It could be, uh, uh, it, could it also be uh, the, the cab driver saying, where are we off to now? Well, he says, follow that black Jaguar there ahead of us. Yeah. So it seems unlikely that that the taxi that he's going to ask him again for his directions. Oh, so. I understand that, but I, I, you know, the cab driver could be. I mean, it's probably Snowy. It's but, just weird though to have Snowy make a comment, but you don't see him make the comment. It's just a right a floating balloon. That, and it is coming no, from the back seat. It's not coming yeah. from the uh, driver's seat. So and it doesn't seem like a Tintin comment. So what you're saying is Tintin got into a cab with another person in it, and the person is now asking yeah. what's going on. What's going on here? We don't know what happened why with that we, story. Why are we following a Jaguar now? Well, let's, uh, by the way. That guy joined Shep. Let's see what the heck uh, Tintin was reading that made him shout crumbs. Mm. I'll throw this over to you. So uh, he goes to the captain and says, Captain, you have to see this. Because the captain is blisteringly, br- well, blisteringly The back of his mad. pants have blown off from the firework. <laughs> We're not seeing the rear view, but if we were, <laughs> yes. uh, the rating on this comic would go up uh, a grade. Go up or down? I would say a more adult situation oh, for see. revealing of buttocks. Okay, okay. You might just have polka dotted boxer shorts, so I, I, I think they have anchors on them. I think that would be easy, or fish, perhaps, or bottles of whiskey. <laughs> That's probably the truest one. Uh, so he's uh, Haddock says he's going back to his father. Abdullah has to go back to his father, and Tinin says too late. Read this. So we read. There's been a coup d'état in Kemed. What a star in rebel hands. What a star, of course, being what? What is what is that? Mm-hmm. What a star in rebel hands. Air power ensures rebel victory. We discover that who supplied the mosquitoes? The question asks. Who? Well, we know who supplied the mm-hmm. mosquitoes, but uh, so Babalair, the uh, sh- rival sheik to Amir uh, Ben, what's his name? Ben something um, Gazab. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, I don't remember that. Uh, and I just read it a little while ago. That's okay. It's fine. We should have a list of all the names in front of us should. if we were a professional yeah, podcast. We should, if we were. The podcast is free. It's, it's fine. True. We don't know the name. There you go. Raymond LeBlanc. <laughs> Fair enough. That's his name. I'll edit that in. Sure. I'll cut that out of that part that I yeah, just blurted out. I'm sure you will. Like I have Tourette syndrome. I'll put that at the proper mm-hmm. part of the show. Yep. Um, so then... <laughs> so that's what you do it. after every show. Edit out all these mistakes. This that's why everything's so crisp on the show. Crisp. <laughs> like a chip. Um... 
Now, this is my fa- one of my favorite scenes in the whole story. Mm-hmm. I love this part so much. Fair enough. Then why don't so, you t- lead us all through right. it? So Haddock's thundering typhoons, the poor Emir. This explains a serious situation he mentioned in his letter. And then Tintin says, you know, he says, well, I guess we'll have to stay here with Abdullah as much pain and terror as this is going to cause. And Tintin says, no, Captain, we could go somewhere else. Bing. And the captain's like, Tintin, you're a genius. But where can we go? Where? asked Tintin. Well, what about Kamed? That's it. Kamed. Good idea. What do you mean, Kamed? It's in the middle of a war. We can't go there. Are you crazy? And then uh, he says, perhaps we might try to rescue the Emir. At the same time, we could try to cle- clear up this odd business of the aircraft. No thanks, not for me. You go if you like. I'm staying here, he says, lighting his pipe. The next panel is an enormous bang. And then we get the most dejected-looking captain ever drawn in the comic strips. All right, I'm coming, he says. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah, His face is all burnt, and he's still got torn pants. His pants are torn. And he has this whole... Sh- he's just slumped over. Yeah. He's the most defeated man you've ever seen. It's great. Yeah. We cut... We cut to Dawson in his office, a youngster with a white dog. That reminds me of something, but what? So that does imply that a lot of time has passed. Even mm-hmm. that implies a lot of time has passed, that he can't remember who Tintin is. Right. Uh, so the phone rings, not drawn by Hergé. Hello, who's It's that? also funny this, too. She's like, a youngster with a white dog. That reminds me of something, but what? Ring, Could it have been ring. the first man and dog on the moon? <laughs> Two of the most famous people... I'm smoking a pipe while I'm doing this in history that I, I, I know. I thought you were smacking your lips as if you'd eaten something. Uh, hello, who's that? Oh, it's you, General. What? You got your wallet back. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, your wallet. You got it back. So then, yes, they bring him back. So he'd, the cat, they, it's the, uh, General Alcazar spills the beans on Tintin to Dawson. Yeah. So Dawson uh. hangs up the phone. Tintin! So he's the one sticking his nose into my business. I'll soon take care of him. So then we cut to the airport of Wadastar captain of or sorry capital, capital capital of Kemed three days later and so here comes the plane from Beirut someone saying it's helpful of them and then we see a good old Douglas DC-3 landing mm-hmm. the warhorse of uh, old-time passenger planes the first kind of like standard passenger plane like the first one that was made where you could put like seats uh, beside each other like have like it's this plane isn't built isn't like that but in in America like United Airlines was like the first or was it American maybe it's American Airlines was the first company to order these they actually kind of um sort of, uh, what would be the word, kind of specialty ordered them. They said, you know, if you build these, we'll buy 20. So like, okay, we'll build 20 of them, or we'll, we'll build them for you. So, and they're the first ones that allow, like, more than one seat beside each other. Oh, okay. So you could have more people sitting on the plane and have sleepers almost, like, on a train. And enough room in the baggage compartment to put a bomb in there as well, apparently. That's right. That's yeah. right. Because when airplanes were first designed, they were basically designed to be like a sleeper car on a train. Right. They want them to be like a train so people would think of them as they're flying through the air. Air trains. It wasn't quite as terrifying. That's why everyone calls them air trains That's right. No, It wasn't quite as terrifying because it was a familiar sensation (laughs) of being in this Oh, it's a terrifying idea. And the farther back you go, the more terrifying the concept must be. Exactly. Ridiculous. We're flying over the ocean. Sure. Sure, Why not? That's why the first stewardesses were actually trained nurses Mm -hmm. because that gave you confidence that there are nurses who could take care of you in case of some, some kind of problem. Not mentioning the fact that all of you would be a mangled mess if you dropped out of the sky onto the ground. Not the nurses couldn't help themselves, let alone you. But right. uh, let's not go into that. Nurses just, with the power of flight. Let's just remember, we're, it's like we're on a train surrounded by nurses. So on the ground, we see a guy who could not look more American. Yeah, uh, really, with uh, that hat. And yeah, he's, like, meh, meh. he's the same guy from Destination Moon. He's been, oh. was, no, it's not. Oh, it's, 
Oh, okay. It's I not, thought it was old Mr. Just... Listen to a Radio. <laughs> no. Anyway, he's uh, he's uh, telling a fella, uh, uh, if he's aboard, yep. Tintin, uh, put this briefcase in the baggage compartment. And the other guy's taking it real calm. Yeah. The idea yeah. to do this. So everyone gets off the plane. Uh, and Tintin, uh, with his history of his passport being rejected everywhere he goes, <laughs> yes. uh, has his passport rejected and he's turned back. Despite the, f- the, the fact that he's wearing a disguise hat he's wearing a hat disguise it's a nice hat it's very australian outback kind of hat don't you think that's well, what it makes me think of if you're trying to think of uh, what tintin looks like it's going to be that uh lick of hair in front so you put a hat on it hat on where it. tintin go yeah hey clark where do you see <laughs> superman i don't know hey hey you got a kid have you seen tintin yeah apparently he's easy to forget even though he walked on the moon mm-hmm. and defeated you and other things. Okay, so uh, the captain's not taking this very, very well, but uh, back on the plane they go, uh, very upset. I just want to – I like the fact that despite the kind of creeping reality of, of Tintin, of the backgrounds getting more realistic and, and everything, I like the fact that the plaid coloring on, the, on this guy's head covering is uh, still has that – just that – uh, bringing up father style pattern of just straight just flat. straight flat yeah it's not like it's curved with the shape with the the shape of the yeah i like anything i like doing that when i'm drawing a plaid uh, yeah. coat or something i like just doing the straight yeah. uh plaid like like it's almost wallpaper you've just mm-hmm. put on the image yeah jaime hernandez of love and rockets does that as well all his all his patterns just kind of sit there like wallpaper that's why i get compared to jaime hernandez yeah, all so the much time. and Hergé. Mm-hmm. uh so uh back by, your, to by the, yourself uh, hmm? So back to the plane uh, they go. Uh, Captain and Tintin uh, look as angry as I am normally when I'm on any plane. And uh, then a bag falls down onto the captain's head. <laughs> yes. And he says, Thundering Typhoons, why does everything happen to me? It is a good I like question. When a char- I like when a character acknowledges, this, this is, is a bit too much. This is unusual. And then Snowy looks over at him and goes, because it would happen to me otherwise, and I don't want it to happen to me anymore. Uh, so there's an air pocket. Uh, things get all jostled. Uh, and, uh, Snowy, uh, and this knocks the captain to the baggage room. Yeah. Uh, Snowy, uh, hears the ticking from the, uh, bag, tries to get Tintin to, uh, to come. Uh, but, uh, you know, Tintin goes, uh, to check it out. Uh, and then, uh, he, before he can go in, he hears feet. It's a siren. Oh, not someone talking about feet. No, they're not. And we see that an engine outside is on fire. Yeah. Yep. That's the uh, that's the alarm for the extinguishers. Uh, so yeah, it's very very scary. And also, this is not nothing to do with the fact that we've got a bomb that uh, Snowy is still trying to warn them about. Yeah. He's trying to he's trying to like move the bag, but it's too heavy. That's a good tense scene here, and yeah, it's really well paced. He's as well. tugging at Tintin's leg, but Tintin is like, no time to play, no mm-hmm. time for games. It's like, why won't you come and look? Says Snowy. He's just trying. Uh, so uh, in the uh, in so- the cockpit. So then, just before Tintin can be convinced to go and check it out, then there's another interruption. There's a man demanding a, that he be given a parachute, which is a strange request, because if you don't know how to parachute, what are you going to do with it? Sell it. Seriously. Sell it for some good money <laughs> to someone who knows how to parachute? So he, the captain, I like the fact that he, they both look the same age, but the captain says, look here, young fellow. Is that right? Keep calm, will you? They both look about the same age, don't you think? Sure, okay. Though we don't know how many years have passed in this Tintin verse, maybe the captain's aged a bit. Well, but look at the guy. Look at—I mean, you're looking at them. <laughs> sure. I'm t- saying how they look. I'm not saying how. <laughs> That's true. I don't think the captain's dying his hair. 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe with some squid ink. So uh, uh, then uh, the, uh, yeah, the it tries to calm him down, but uh, pow uh, goes the passenger to the to the captain's face. Uh, Tintin's had enough of this and uh, comes in with a big uh, uh, set of fives to the mush. <laughs> uh, yes. We see it looks like the captain though. Like Tintin comes in so fast, the captain is still in the process of falling. Yeah. you can see his legs still that's floating realistic. in the no, air as re- he's falling. That's back. realistic. Yeah. So uh, that's a good time to punch a guy because he's still he's still in the mid of his swing. Right. So you, you have a good and, opening. And as a captain usually says, when you're fighting in the cockpit, good job, good job, <laughs> good good lad. Thanks. All right, everybody, hold on uh, tight. We're gonna try to land. And so uh, they do. It's a very rough landing, but a land they great, do. Great, great drawing. And and part of what makes it great is the knowledge of how a plane is is put together. So you you get not only do you get the outside of the plane, the the wing tearing off, but you also see the the inner parts of the wing breaking away as well, like the the you know I don't know what they're called, but there's the struts and stuff like that that right. are inside the wing to support it. You know they're also flying in the air, and so it's and then of course the the landing gear. It's just a really good drawing. Mm-hmm. Let's give it up for Roger Laloop, everybody. Laloop. <laughs> so uh, the the uh, pilot and co-pilot are putting out the fire, uh, and uh, when the fire's out. Um, the captain says, don't stay here in the open, uh, son. We better move into the shadow of these rocks while we wait for a rescue party. So that is what they do. Meanwhile, Snowy is inside the plane barking at uh, Tintin. But to this point, you know, Snowy, maybe he should just get away from the bomb. Mm-hmm. He maybe doesn't realize, you know, he knows that he's sensing danger. But at this point, danger may be imminent. Like, get out of there, Snowy. He's still barking at uh, Tintin as they as they climb up the mountains. They find a place to sit. Haddock has his pipe. He's uh, sitting down, relaxing. Tintin says, you know what? I'm going to go down with Snowy. Snowy is just relentlessly pulling at me and barking. So I'm going to go check out what he wants. So uh, Tintin, of course, reaches into his, his handbag. And what would he have in there? A book? A luggage? Somebody to... Nope. He has a bottle of whiskey. Yep. Which... Half a bottle of whiskey. Yep. Half a bottle of whiskey. That's 240 miles to the gallon, he says. Not too good, but still. And then kaboom! Sounds like uh, Tintin and Snowy have just uh, met their maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the captain is very happy that he uh, he was saying he's got to save his bottle. Yeah. He, his bottle is safe. And then he realizes, oh, his friends uh, went towards the plane, rest the bottle on a rock. The bottle smashes. Ugh. Uh, but Tintin seems to be all right. Mm-hmm. And Tintin apologizes to Snowy for not taking him more seriously. And Snowy's... Uh, saying yes, you all, you ought to. Yeah, I'm taking more seriously. Yes, <laughs> that's good. Very good. I'm not comedy relief like that guy. Like that guy. Immediately on the next page, he sniffs in the water and gets a crab biting him on the nose. Yeah, that's right. But he's not the comedy relief. No. Nope. Please take him more seriously. Right. Uh, so they realize it was a time bomb in the baggage compartment, and uh, and so yeah, let's move on from there. Yeah, we do get to see Snowy. Unfortunately, get a crab on the nose. Poor guy. <laughs> then uh, night falls. And it's the captain, uh, Snowy, and Tintin uh, walking in the dark, uh, saying they gotta reach uh, Wadish Wadishta Wadishta before Wadishta before okay before dawn. Uh, and even though the cat wants to lie down, lying down is out of the question. Hmm. Uh, and then immediately Tintin goes, "Quick, lie down. <laughs> Make up your mind. Shall I lie down or not?" And it's a patrol uh, looking for them. Yeah. So uh, the captain uh, settles down and uh, goes to sleep and starts snoring. <laughs> Yes. Try so Tintin decides he'd better wake him up. Can't. He uses a classic trick. Which is? Opening a bottle of alcohol. Yeah, with a very nice visual of the ca- how the captain's mind works yeah, when it comes yeah, to nice. whiskey. He hears the pop, which and equals a cork. Then you have gears turning, showing his mind working, which equals alcohol, which or a bottle, I should say. And then the 
got the wheels turning equals whiskey. Yep. Happy Wake snatches it, although it's rum, it turns out. Drinks it all, uh, as, uh, as Popeye would if Popeye was an alcoholic. Yes. <laughs> it's his spinach. And, uh, of course, then he's full of bravado. Yeah, he's got his, uh, s- stammering, uh, that he gets when uh, he's a little bit sauced. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, off they go. And then uh, early the next day, they, they get there. Uh, they realize uh, Tintin's mentioning they got to be careful. The main gates are going to be watched. Uh, but I know a small gateway, and that'll be unguarded. So uh, is this uh, something Tintin remembers from, from the past? or how did... Yeah, because they were in Wadastar in uh, Land of Black Gold. Or right. he was in Wadastar in Land of Black Gold. Right. The captain wasn't there, of course, because he was uh, on maneuvers. He had been That's called up. That's true. Right. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> and uh, so they're going to see uh, Senhor uh, Oliveira, uh, the, uh, who um, the captain is excited uh, because uh, you did say he always had a bottle of wine handy. <laughs> so uh, he's knocking on the door saying, open it. It's Tintin. Uh, patrol comes by and uh, and uh, they, they hide. Uh, the patrol, uh, th- at that point, uh, Oliveira uh, asks, who's that? And it's a uh, patrol. Who's that? What do you mean, who's that? I'm asking you. What's the idea of waking people up at this hour? I can't help it if you're a light sleeper. A light sleeper? What nerve? After all the row you've been making, blah, 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 back and forth, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, then Tintin notices that there's a, uh, a sign on the wall. Or maybe he doesn't notice, but we see there's a sign on the wall that's a reward for Tintin and Haddock. Yes. And as I said before, uh, because this book was, uh, well, it's done in 50, was finished in 58. And there was a, there was a, uh, some revisions done in 67, but unlike Land of Black Gold, which was revised again uh, in 72, at that point, Hergé took advantage of that revision to correct the, the Arabic and make it into actual uh, understandable Arabic. In this case, it's just, it's just Arabic-looking writing. Mm. It's basically gobbledygook. It's just, uh, you know, just Arabic-looking fig, uh, images. So, so uh, they, uh, they wake him again. Uh, and uh, this time he's, oh, it's you. I will let you in. So uh, they do let him in. Uh, he mentions that there's a price on their head. Yep. He, Tintin says he knows. He's seen the poster. Tin, uh, the captain's so so tired. Just needs to go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, mentions that a drop of your wine could save our lives. Uh, and so uh, they go through quite a bit of wine. I see the wine going down, 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 as things are explained. Yes. I like that. And then he wakes up. Action stations with his usual waking up full of booze bravado. And then he said, what? Er, oh, forgive me. I, I think I was dreaming a nightmare. Pirates. Oh, well. He says, I'll light up. That'll help me keep awake. So we get more. Yes, we're getting a lot of a, a big uh, exposition, exposition dump. dump here. So Senor Oliveira is telling Tintin that uh, six months ago, as a result of an of agreement between the Emir and Arab Air, Wadastar became an important link in the air route to Mecca. Then a few weeks ago, it seems that trouble blew up between Arabair and the Arab Emir. The situation began to deteriorate. As if by chance, trouble flared up all over the country, and Sheikh Babalair took command of the rebels. These rebels were supported by a powerful air force, which, so to speak, came out of the blue. The rebels marched into Wadasda and seized power. So, uh, Tintin asks, it puzzles me, Senor Oliveira. You see, the rebel mosquitoes and the Arabair DC-3s came from the same source, and I'd like to know what touched off the dispute between the Emir and Arabair. And Oliveira says, I have no idea at all. So we, we don't know what the problem is. But we do know that he had to flee from the city because uh, he took refuge in the Jebel with Patrash Pasha. Now, we haven't heard Patrash Pasha's name, and I forgot to mention him as well. 
Uh, we haven't heard his name since the Cigars of the Pharaoh. Hmm. So it's been a long time since we heard about that fellow. So, yeah, just another little appearance by, by a character. Uh, and just then uh, we hear the captain scream. And uh, Tintin has to squirt uh, salsa water in its face, seeing oh, the little classic. tiny eyes again. Love it. Love those uh, eyes. Because the captain set his own beard on fire with his pipe when he fell asleep. Mm-hmm. And let that be a lesson to you kids. Don't smoke. And if you do smoke, don't sleep while you smoke. That's right. Don't sleep and smoke. It's very Absolutely. bad. Absolutely. Don't sleep, walk, and smoke. Let's cut to two days later, and we're going to see a uh, uh, Tintin and uh, the captain uh, disguised as, I, I assume, women. Uh, <laughs> yes. full face covered, balancing yes. pots on their heads. And one of my favorite jokes, uh, in, in, in all this is, uh, you see the captain trying to balance it. Not that great. Uh, the, the patrol laughing at this. And, uh, they mentioned, you know, it's lucky for us. We had all day to practice, uh, poor Senor Oliveira. And then we see, uh, his entire stock of those pots yeah. smashed to pieces. <laughs> yes. That is a good joke. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they're out of the city, uh, going to a well, and uh, a woman is confronting the captain. Pulls, oh, pulls his uh, veil off, uh, revealing a beard. Uh, shock! Uh, and this is where he gives the line, uh, "Why can't you talk English like everyone else? Yeah, what do you want anyway?" And whoa! And she runs off. And uh, to be fair, she is talking nonsense because uh, all that stuff above yeah. that yeah. wasn't anything. No, it's nothing at all. Nope. Yeah. Uh, now uh, we know that she's going to be raising the alarm. Uh, so now they're now they're in trouble. Uh, and uh, they mentioned that the, our guide isn't here. Oliveira was uh, quite definite that uh, he'd wait near the near the well with the horses. And uh, Snowy's now barking. And there you go. There he is. We got the horses, and off they go. And we see some nice horse business with oh. the captain trying to ride. Yes, Erge could draw really good horses. I I would think. And what's interesting is his brother Paul was a real horseman. And he wrote a letter to Erge explaining, uh, you know, riding and riding techniques and how people look when they ride. And Erge took a lot of those drawings that his brother Paul did and transferred them into the story. So yeah, he just, uh, obviously the writer that Paul was drawing was someone who was writing in an actual, like, proper dressage style, not the captain's, uh, rather inexperienced landlubberly style there where he doesn't know how to, uh, ride a horse because um, he doesn't have his feet in the stirrups like an experienced rider it does happen when you're riding that you'll lose your stirrups but because you if you ride a lot you just put your feet where the stirrups are and they'll actually like miraculously swing where your feet are and you can just step into them again oh is that right yeah yeah but he doesn't know that so he's just, he ends up on the horse's neck and then he's hanging on for dear life he slides underneath the horses he basically does a complete 360 around the, the front of the horse and then gets back up in the saddle only backwards yeah, it's quite good. And uh, I also like the horse's face uh, mm-hmm. during the whole mm-hmm. thing, just reacting. Well, that's Yeah, that's an interesting that touch that Erge brings to the horses that he draws. Is he doesn't give them like just plain dark eyes like, like a horse has, but gives them a bit of a, a white so we can see some expression. Horses, you do occasionally see the white stripes, but when you do, they never look very good. They always look very strangely, like shocked, and they have their head up, head pointed away from you, looking at you with these weird eyes. All right. The uh, next sequence that we see... Ahead, sorry, yeah, I just you. wanted to mention that we see... Uh, Dr. Muller, uh, from the Black Island and from Land of Black Gold, he reappears again in a kind of a weird little cameo, a very small cameo, uh, and has no interaction with Tintin, but it just sort of adds his depth. His character is probably based on an actual person whose name was Glub Pasha. He was a British, uh, he was a British, um, I guess he was a colonel. I'm not quite certain what his, what his 
what his rank was, but he worked with the with um, the Arab League. He was the kind of like the commander of the Arab League mm-hmm. uh, for many years, like from the I think he started in 1939, and then he was in that position till into the mid 50s. And he was basically kind of acted on behalf, commanded the army on behalf of the Arabs, and in, even like was commanding the army when they were fighting the is- Israelis. He was still like in command of the army, and so it was very strange kind of. Uh, fence sitting that the British must have been doing, having this guy acting on behalf of the British, mm. commanding the Arab League army while they're fighting uh, a nation that the British helped to set up in mm-hmm. in in the Middle East. So it's uh, very odd. And yeah, he uh, it was interesting. It must have been a, you know he was obviously working on behalf of the British, you know, trying to keep their interests there, and but also acting on behalf of the Arabs who he was whose army was commanding. So it must have been a lot of very delicate. Uh, uh, ambassadorship, but anyway, so he—that's who he sort of based on. Like, that's why he's called Mul. So Mul, short for Muller, uh, Mul Pasha. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah, so we see uh, an actual armored car, the Daimler armored car. That's uh, so that's what. Um, that, and then once again, the, those great mosquitoes doing what they do best, which is blowing things up in a very efficient manner. And uh, so Mul Pasha orders that Tintin and Haddock be blown up. As the, you know, we blow up these riders. Somehow it gets mistranslated or misunderstood to the fact that they blow up their own armored cars. <laughs> uh, so in the, you see the, them stopping riding and here in the distance, uh, bombs falling and the rat attack of, of machine gun fire. And then we cut to the guys, which, which is the nice thing about Tintin stories. You never can get blown up and hurt. Being blown up merely means that your clothes get, yeah. you know, tattered. And at worst, you might have a tire around your neck. Yeah. It's like, uh, G.I. Joe cartoons. Yeah. No one ever gets, uh, yeah. really hurt. Yeah. And so then, so then the uh, Black Panther calling the plane. The mosquito calls back to Mopasha. I guess it calls to the and says, "Mission accomplished. Excellent. The two armored cars destroyed. Congratulations, Colonel Ahmed. Realizes your pilots." He hangs up the phone. And then he says, "The armored what?" And <laughs> yeah, his, good reaction uh, shot. his head cover flies up in the what? air. Yeah, and calls back to this guy and pretty much uh, you know dresses him down and I guess. Uh, Pretty much lets him know that he is no longer going to be a colonel, and then uh, or probably alive, or probably alive, he will be joining Shep with the bucket of uh, concrete uh, in the in the sea. So uh, then they see. Um, oops, there goes my book again. This is another book I've read a lot, so the pages are, are falling out mm-hmm. of it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking for us. Uh, Haddock says, and Tintin replies, "Whew, they've gone over into the saddle. We've a long way to go." And so we go to the next day at dawn. Uh, you know, we see them on the horse uh, going. Uh, it looks like is that the captain sleeping on the horse? Yes. Yeah. I like that. Uh, but we see now we pull back and we see guns are trained on them. Uh, with uh, the, the group going, careful, every man pick his target. The captain is uh, sleep, sleep horse yeah. walking. I turned the page. That's what I was laughing at. Just that real close up, and then him falling on his his head. Of course, is pleasing as well. I just like that the horse looks like a rocking or like like a carousel horse there, mm-hmm. looking down at him. That, and what's what's interesting is how much like Arabs these horses are drawn, like Arab horses. Mm. You know, so that's nice detail that they would give them that really fine face. So the that guns, Arabs have yeah the 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 guns uh, on them. The fellow was the guns yell halt and like okay uh, friends friends don't shoot you know friends huh uh, we'll soon see give the password and the guide says the camels bark uh, no wait the dogs bark and the camels pass all right come on in and so they do. Uh, so they go in through the passage. Uh, the, the, 
they notice, uh, Tintin and the captain notice small kind of uh, holes in the rock. Uh, Tintin thinks they might be windows, but nonsense, says the captain. And uh, looking into one of them, he gets some water or some goo. It might not even be water. I think it's like some porridge or... Let's hope. Let's There's maybe, a lot of horrible things that like, could uh, be. Maybe like lentils? Maybe like some sort of lentil? Or... There are some things you throw out a window uh, back then. Let's just say some of that's on the captain's face. <laughs> and he goes, beg pardon, ma'am? And, oh yeah, people do live here. Yes. Uh, so it's a very ornate uh, uh, Roman temple yeah. hewn from the rock. Well, don't don't we see that same? Isn't it used in the third Indiana Jones film? It looks they, like it looks like what's it's a real place. It's yeah. called Petra. It's in Jordan. It looks like the you chose poorly, you chose wisely. Yeah, it's a region there where uh, like domiciles were carved out of the rock, and this ornate uh, was basically it was actually a mausoleum. Uh, was what it was designed in the first century A.D. and it's called Al Kazne or the treasury. And it was believed that this is that pirates or robbers had hidden all their treasure there. Mm-hmm. There's actually a big urn in it. And it's full of bullet holes from Bedouins trying to shoot and break open the urn so that all the treasure will come out of it. But the joke's on them because it's actually a solid piece of sandstone. <laughs> it's not actually doesn't have like a hollow yeah. core to it. So yeah. So ha ha, people ha-ha. that are long since dead. Yes, you uh, dummies. So uh, they, they enter and they see it's uh, Abdullah's uh, a dad. And uh, what's his full name again? Ben Amir, no, sorry, Amir Ben Azab. That we we'll go. part of it. It's like Kamir Azab. Yeah. And oh, Tintin, Captain, you're here. It's unbelievable. How's Kalish. My... Ben Kalish Azab. There we go. How's my son, my own little Sorry, treasure, my darling, my precious one? Oh, we left him at uh, Marlin Spike, your highness, says Tintin, but rest assured, in good hands. Poor little lamb. How sad he must be so far from his papa. We cut to... <laughs> Uh, cut to we cut to looks like a scene from uh, well it looks like a scene from Tintin I was going to go from the Adams family but this was probably first uh, so uh, he's got uh, the butler uh, Nestor tied up uh, the feather duster t- tied behind his head yeah like uh, saying aha I'll leave you uh, tied to the palm tree so the crocodiles can come and eat you ha ha we're having fun aren't we Nestor and Nestor is thinking confounded brat ah someone's coming they'll set me free but it's calculus and uh, he doesn't notice exactly what's going on here, and asks him for a push because he's uh, got uh, he's 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 done something with his roller skates. Yes, he has them set so that they'll turn in one direction. Mm-hmm. All and he needs is a little push. He says, "For instance, at the moment, my skates are locked right over to the left. If someone were to push me now, I would turn in the same turn round more or less on the same spot." Nestor saying, mm, mm, trying to warn him, and then of course Abdullah pushes him. And we see we see calculus spinning in the same spot, going round and round, knocking all the dishes, the cooking, and everything else onto the floor. And the Siamese cat runs for its life. <laughs> It'd be funny if after that, uh, calculus was completely normal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to uh, back to inside the temple, uh, and uh, and. But and I'm quite sure that despite his sadness, my cherub is a little ray of sunshine, bringing life and gaiety into your old home. Undoubtedly. <laughs> Says the captain, and that's yes. why we're here. <laughs> now we get a little more exposition. Yeah. So now we find out, and I do like this sequence because uh, it's 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 interestingly done, I think, because it kind of shows a strange ambivalence to what's being done by the emir, and I think it's realistic that he doesn't care about the Ar- the, the black guys really. Uh, so he tells the story of he says, "Arab bear the dogs; they will pay dearly for their treachery." I gave them permission to establish a base at Wadasta, an important link on the route to Mecca. One day, about three months ago, my little Abdullah, my flawless jewel, expressed a wish to see the Arab airplanes loop the loop a few times before landing at Wadastar. Loop the loop? But Highness, well, of course, 
DC-3s cannot leap the loop. The entire plane will fall apart from the the force, the G-force on a plane trying to do a loop the loop mm-hmm. of that sight, of that size, I should say. So the Amir says, nothing simpler, don't you agree? But it would have given my la- and it would have given my lambkin such pleasure. Well, instead of seizing this opportunity of pleasing my little sugar plum, they refused on some trumped-up excuse. But Highness, said Tintin says, naturally I was very angry and threatened to terminate our agreement. I also used another threat that I would reveal to the world that Airbear are involved in slave trading. So here it's revealed he doesn't care really care that they're slave trading. No. What he's insulted by is the fact that they won't loop the loop in their plane and smash it to pieces. Right. Well, he's a terrible human being. Like <laughs> we remember from his story. Yeah. You know, my father tortures people to death for the slightest uh, yeah, you know, infraction. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, he's he's a horrible, horrible man. Tintin is friends with a lot of terrible people. I wouldn't say they're friends. Well, I think they're friendly. Acquaintances that, He's yes. the kind of person that uh, he would think like, oh, I'm going to leave my kids with uh, the mm-hmm. captain, my kid with the captain and Tintin. Yeah. That feels friendly. Uh, in Tintin's defense, neither Babelair or the Emir are, are angels. Like, neither, in neither case are you getting anything good. The only thing good about the Emir coming back to power is that Abdullah will be gone from Marlinsburg. I understand. That's the only... Uh, uh, Tintin back in the day also was kind of okay with Incans and people that would like burn you alive and like, ah, now we're all good friends. Yes, I won't tell anyone about you guys. Why yeah. would I? You and you're killing people all the time. <laughs> well, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just wh- defending their culture. Sure. Good, good on you. And, uh, while this is all going on, we're getting the second big cat gag. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we see you can that, explain that Snowy is, uh, spotting a bone and it's, is this a jaguar? Would it be? A cheetah, I think. Cheetah. Very good. Because a cheetah has spots, right? Sure. Does a, or does a leopard have spots? Well, oh I my God, we're really giving away. Listen, I know a leopard can't so change his spots. We are so dumb. Okay, but a so cheetah. There's a leopard. Well, a cheetah also yeah. has spots, though. Does it? Yes. It stole it from the leopard because it's a cheetah. And? That's all. Okay, you're not going to do the never prosper joke? Fine. <laughs> Let, leave it to me. Moving on. Uh, the uh, Snowy. I don't go that low. That sounds fine. Snowy is spotting the bone. But realizes, you know, this uh, giant cat, let's say a leopard, yeah. uh, is there uh, trying to figure out what to do. Bone, leopard, bone, leopard, bone, leopard. Next time we see uh, Snowy, he's got the bone. The leopard has broken free. He has been chained up, but he has pulled uh, uh, the chain off and it uh, looks like he's going to attack everyone. Uh, he pounces. He lands on Snowy. This looks like the end for Snowy. But the chain that had broken free of the wall has a bit of rock on it. It loops up and smashes uh, the uh, whatever cat this cat is on the head, uh, <laughs> and it is uh, it's just it's not not knocked out, but it's stopped. Yes, I believe we established that it's a cheetah, and as we know, cheetahs never prosper. <laughs> Are you going to edit that out so that you're the only one who says that horrible joke? Yes. Okay. If Dave doesn't, you know where to complain about it. <laughs> SneakyDragon.com. Okay. Please continue. So, yes. So we have now, we've kind of, yes, a tame, it's a cheetah. He says it's a tame cheetah. Shows what good readers we are. The Amir says, a tame cheetah. You bet you see what happens when didn't he is annoyed? Didn't I not stop with, start oh, with you? cheetah? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I missed that because I was having to. Uh... Oh, maybe I said leopard. <laughs> yeah, you said leopard. One of us No, did. jaguar. You said jaguar. I said leopard. And then we went cheetah. Right. And for a while I said uh, baleen whale. So I don't know what happened there. Okay. She does never prosper. Oh, for gosh. <laughs> so We have now lost every listener <laughs> we have. Please continue. The uh, perfidious Babelair will learn this one day to his cost, that woe betide those who attack me, he says to the emir, and that infamous Digarnzola to the owner of Erebear. Up, 
Herbert belongs to Digorgonzola. Digorgonzola says Tintin. He's interested now. It does indeed. Digorgonzola, shipping magnate, newspaper proprietor, radio, television, and cinema tycoon, airline king, dealer in pearls, <laughs> gun runner, trafficker in slaves, the man who helped Babalair to seize power. But patience, ill-gotten gains benefit no one. And then in a Shakespearean the turn to us, uh, Snowy goes, that's what he thinks. <laughs> Literally winks at us. Yeah. And uh, I think winks uh, while eating his bone. Well, because he's ironically pointing out that the Emir's gains are in no in no less ill-gotten than Babalair's. I know. Shakespearean. It's very good. It's very Shakespearean. He's an international crook. He must be put out of harm's way, says the Emir. Yes, you're right, says Tintin. Yes, but what can we do to expose his dreadful traffic in slaves? Tell me, Your Highness, Mecca is the terminus for air bear, isn't it? Good. Is there any way of actually getting us there? So now we cut outside to a man listening to Tintin talking outside the cave door. He's going, hmm, more and more interesting, yes. while he's actually, like, wringing his hands together. <laughs> so you know he's evil. By the way, if you want to know if you're, anything you're doing is evil, are you wringing your hands while you're thinking about it? Yeah. If so, it's evil. Yes. That's how, also, you can not forget it. So, to Mecca, that's not easy at the moment, but if you will give me two or three days, I will find means of putting you there, of putting you aboard a sailing ship, which will take you there. Thank you, Highness. And then, uh, the gentleman wringing his hands steps on a cheetah's tail as an exposed, because when you step on a cheetah's tail, you never prosper. That's true. <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. Okay, please do. Could you just get this show down to a tight 15 minutes? <laughs> so then, we hear some... A growl noise. Everyone reacts inside. They, they step outside of the cave to see what happened. We find out that it is Ben Yusef, master. You, Aisha jumped on him. See, it will be at least three weeks before he is well. So, yes, it turns out that uh, stepping on a cheetah's tail, when people do that, they do never prosper. Yeah, that's a that's a tame cheetah. It's... Yeah, it's kind of grouchy, though. But it's kind of like having a cat. Like a, a small cat will attack you. You just don't notice. If you step same. on its tail. Not even if you step on its tail. Even if you're just petting it, it will just turn around and start biting your hand for reasons you don't understand. So just magnify the size of your house cat to the size of a cheetah. It's the exact same problem, only it's much more, uh, turns out it, it causes you three weeks of injury, not minor cuts to your hand that you have to put a polysporin on. Well, we don't have time for three weeks right now. Let's just go to two days Let's later. Let's go to two days later. Uh, now Tintin, Haddock are back on horses and they're waiting with some silhouetted figures who are waiting for something to come. It turns out to be what first the captain takes to be a dhow, but no, he says it's a sambuk. Uh, type of boat that you see uh, sailing around the Red Sea, and they they launch a boat. Suddenly, uh, some, there being some other uh, people on camels come upon them, sentries or guards come upon them, and say, "By the beard of the prophet, some something suspicious is going on over there." A gunfight breaks out, which, in a clever way, is all taken care of in a frame. Looking at it from the point of view of the sambuk out of the, the water, they hear the sound of gunfire and say, "Ah, they have stumbled on a patrol." Then we see the patrol racing off. Haddock is laughing. Soldiers, them, don't make me laugh. One shot into the air and they bolted like rabbits. Tintin is smiling. Yeah, good but times. He, but he should know, because the next day at dawn, they're still on, they're on the Sambuk sailing, and uh, the captain's laughing. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, he's been laughing all night. Yeah, all night long. <laughs> I was thinking of those two-penny, half-penny coast guards galloping headlong. Anyone think they were trying to break the sound barrier? And Tintin says, well, they're still going to raise... Raise the the. Yeah, uh, going to report it. They're gonna yeah, we're gonna report it. Raise the alarm. So something bad could happen. Ah, but what? And suddenly we see more mosquitoes come flying in. Those plants just do everything. So the mosquitoes come around. Shooting. Tintin warns everybody. They everyone ducks. The the the. Uh, what part of the mosqu- boat would you say that is? That's swinging back and forth and that hits uh, Haddock in the head. I don't know what that's called. I was wondering. I should have I should have tried to look it up. That's I okay. Forgot, I forgot to. I was thinking about it, looking it up. Anyway, it's it's the swingy part on the boaty thing. Mm-hmm. There yeah. you are. The okay. rope, 
the rope. Uh, I don't know what it's called. Really, uh, Tintin asks for a gun. The person hands uh, him a rifle. Is it a pulley? It is kind of like a pulley. Sure, isn't it? let's do that. Uh, and uh, the and and Tintin shoots up at the plane, hits it. Of course he would. It's made of wood. It's made yeah. of balsa. Good shot, <laughs> Tintin. Go uh, and then speaking of hitting, the captain does get hit in the head by this pulley. Uh, this thing, whatever yeah. this is, maybe it's a it's cheetah. Wooden. We this... don't know. <laughs> Jaguar. <laughs> we, we, we don't do as much book... research as we did at the beginning of the podcast. Right. Listen, we're we're, 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 we're getting near the end, folks. Yeah, this is near the end. <laughs> okay. The faster we finish this, the better everyone else is. Uh, but in the meantime, because of the strafing, the a fire has started on the on the boat, and meanwhile, the crew, helpful fellows all, have jumped into their own boat and have left Tintin and the captain on the burning ship. Ugh. Those guys. Cut to. Tintin does try to stop him from being hit by the thing again. Uh, By smushing his nose into the mast. Yep. Very nice. Uh, Or the yard arm, whatever it's called. A quarter of an hour later, we just don't know boats. Let's face it. No. We we know comics. And you were a fisherman. Yeah, I didn't. It was in a sailing boat, though. A a mere quarter of an hour later, they have built a raft, lashed together a raft with drums from the ship, and are floating in the sea. A quarter of an hour. Well, I mean, the captain is a... He is a nautical man. He does know a lot about knots. Yeah. That's why he's called nautical. But still... He's got an anchor on his sweater. A quarter on his of sweater. an hour. You know what? I now believe it because I think Snowy could have lent a hand. Mm-hmm. He knows how to untie a knot. I'm sure he knows how to tie a the knot. The captain is complaining that they've managed to bring provisions aboard the raft, but they have no can opener. So he starts trying to open the can in the least safe way possible by pointing the knife directly towards <laughs> his own hand. Terrible. Meanwhile... Tintin sees a pilot floating off at the scene. I like the captain's uh, says, him, let him take care of himself. Then really goes, er, is he far away? <laughs> Has a change of heart right away. Yeah. No quite near. Here, help me rescue him. So they paddle towards this fellow and bring him aboard. And uh, of course, they're kind of mad at him because he was trying to kill yeah, them. Yeah, you trigger happy thug. Who are you anyway? What's your name? Scoot. Scoot, he or says. Or Scoot, sure. All right. He says, what do you mean, Scoot? I'll teach you manners, you blithering bombardier. I'll deflate you, ectoplasm. But my name is Scoot, Peter Scoot, me Estonian. Actually, in the French version, his name was Zoot, S-Z-U-T. And does that also work as a joke? It works as Zoot is a is a kind of like a exclamation, like Zoot. Like, I remember we had a textbook in high school called Zoot Allure, which I never knew what it meant in all the time, because the teacher never told us, and I was, of course, a student, so he didn't bother to ask what it meant. No, why would you? Ugh. Sort of like Didon. We had a book called Didon as well. I never knew what that meant. No, no. School's not for questions. I don't ask Keep questions. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your, mouth Keep your shut. head down. Keep Get out. Don't want anyone to see you. Yeah. Uh, the captain is waving around his uh, passing through his knife uh, that he was using to open the can and yeah. uh, pops uh, the fella's uh, life preserver. Very unsafe with knives, this captain. Yes. Do you think he would know how to use knives? He's a sailor. Mm-hmm. It's an important thing to have on a on a boat. Is have a knife. You always have a knife if you're a sailor. So you so, don't have to cut a rope. Meanwhile, uh, we're we're seeing like a, a radio uh, signal going out. Hello, hello. This is R3KO. This is R3KO calling K6VM. Over. Hello, hello, this is uh, K6VM, this is K6VM, come in, R3KO, come on over. Bit of a clumsy uh, transition here, I think, this sequence. Okay. Because you shouldn't have two meanwhiles in a space of three panels, I don't think. Well, you know what, I would agree with you. Because we turn the page and we have another meanwhile, we find ourselves on, uh, we find ourselves looking at Rast- uh, Rastopopolis, talking to a geisha, and he's saying, may I have the pleasure of this Samba princess, but of course Marquis. And she says, what an ideal yacht for a cruise. And then we see the yacht, which is called the Scheherazade. Which means? Scheherazade was the sultana in the uh, 1001 Arabian Nights stories. She was oh, the one that told the stories to the sultan. In so order, it wouldn't be killed? So she wouldn't be killed, yeah. And uh, 
the yacht is based on Aristotle's Aristotle Onassis's yacht, the the Christina. Ah, all right. So that's where that idea came from. And uh, then we have the, uh, I guess, the captain come and talk to his, talk to the uh, Rastapopoulos, say, my lord, there is a radio call for you. It's urgent. Because, of course, he is a marquis, so he is a lord. Marquis yes. de Gorgonzola. Probably one of those Euro marquis, which is not quite as good as a actual marquis as a British one. Yeah, this is a great outfit he's wearing. Like, yes. It's like, so demonic or so diabolical. It, it feels like he's Ming the Merciless. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. And so uh, what, an, what an entrancing host he is, we, we learn. I don't quite know why he's so entrancing. I guess because he gives because the way money. he's dancing earlier. Look at those. Look at those. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's his little spin- graceful. His little spindly legs coming out of his bowling ball shaped body. Yep. What a man. What a man. So he gets on the radio. Uh, and beso- behind him, when he gets on the radio, you see a Picasso. Ah, there we go. Which was from Hergé's collection. All right. And uh, so uh, he calls uh, R3KO, transmits in code, over. Powerful insects have stung the blue goat. Parasites one and two are in the bag. Out. Understood. Out. So that's been done. Uh, he's looking at his book going, okay, now for the book. We'll decode this. Parasites 1 and 2. I know who they are. Ah, I have it. Excellent. Uh, Mul Pasha has done well. Uh, we're rid of those two meddlers. If this goes on, Captain... Uh, oh, sorry. Then we're back to uh, the yeah, boat. Yeah, we cut to a nice... But what's nice here is, though, we've come down to the normal kind of tiered panels. But what Erge did was the, fu- the final two, pa- two tiers are a little thinner so that he can add a fifth tier. And it's just a long, horizontal landscape of this or seascape uh so you get this sense of this huge expanse that they're floating in and it's a very tiny in shot the of the raft of nowhere, yeah, yeah. the middle of nowhere no no land in sight now here's a weird thing yes uh where it looks like tintin is uh, saying this if this goes on captain will soon be, soon be on dr bombard's diet plankton and seawater yeah now what is that well it's an actual thing there's a guy named Alain bombard he was a french uh bot or no biologist right and who he, died from drinking seawater let me assume no he actually did this crazy like wasn't a stunt but he did this experiment i guess where he sailed from france to the west indies all the way to barbados so he sailed like over four thousand miles it took him like over like around a year to do right. this long not a year but it took him from like 52 to 53 or whatever it was that he sailed and yeah he brought no real provisions he caught fish and ate fish that he caught, and he used a net to catch the plankton on the surface of the water and ate that. And then he drank a little bit of seawater as well. Most of the water he got was from the fish. Mm-hmm. And he drank the, some of the seawater, not very much of the seawater, because we cannot, yeah. we're not seagulls, we can't drink seawater like seagulls can. But uh, yeah, we're missing that little filter in our mouths. Yeah, this but, whole idea that like, you know, drink, come on, drink seawater. Uh, try some captain. It's not as yeah. bad as all that. That just yeah. is amazing but to he, me that he's drinking He did it water. in an inflatable boat as well, an inflatable sailboat. It was 15 feet long, and he sailed from France down through the Mediterranean, yeah. down like to Tangier, and then from Tangier all the way across the ocean to, to Barbados. He met a ship once in his whole, the whole trip over, and they gave him like a dinner, like gave him some food. Uh, and he just carried on from there and carried on. But he actually thought he was much farther along as well. Like it was really disappointing when he met the ship because he thought he was really close to the end of his journey because he did have a sextant, so he was taking readings. Yeah. But he must have miscalculated because he thought he was much closer to the end of his journey. And he meets his boat and they're like, oh, no, you got a long way to go yet. But he thought, well, I've had food, so I'll just carry on. So yeah. Right. And he's eating raw ocean he, fish. He wrote a book about it. This whole, whole time, too. Yeah. So that's what... Uh, that's what Tintin I just wonder how many kids read this and just went, oh, you can drink seawater. Gulp, gulp, gulp. Well, if you listen to the captain, you can't. So we have two points of view on this on this issue. Right, the captain yeah. and Tintin. Who are you going to listen to? 
Well, the captain the captain makes a pretty per- persuasive argument does I think, he? against it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what does he say? He says he says me drink seawater. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. Try some, captain. It's not as bad as all that. He laughs. He says, not as bad as all that. Think of all the dead fish there must be in it. All the people drowned in it over the centuries. All the tons of rubbish dumped from ships every day. You can commit suicide if you like drinking that pig swill. But for me, it's nyet nyet all along the line. And Scoot himself says, this not so good, or this not good. Right. But here's the problem with that. Is what's the one thing that the captain hates more than anything else besides slave traders? Water. Okay. He hates straight out water, right? <laughs> that's this is true. this is a good excuse why he doesn't drink regular water. I guess that's true. All right. I so, just like that he says he sees that he goes, Besides, beside besides, besides Yippee! They're a ship saved. A ship just when you swallowed that liquid manure. <laughs> he laughs and says, What a scream. A ship, it's true. Then he's he's laughing so hard, he makes a misstep, breaks through the boards, and falls into the water. Right. So it's not it's not the best put together raft. Let's give That's it that. That's true. Yeah. Uh, he comes up and he's spitting out a fish. <laughs> Too good. Uh, so you've decided to have some after all. Me, not on your life, not a drop. Blue. And he says glub, which I think is a reference to glub Pasha, who was a <laughs> oh <laughs> not at all brother. Okay. <laughs> And uh, then uh, the uh, the the captain, not captain, but the pilot says, "Oh, the ship, she no see us, she go." No, oh yeah, that's right, getting farther away. Uh, so uh, then the uh, Tintin gets an idea. Well, they all get an idea. Uh, with a with a mirror, we're gonna shine some light in their eyes, and uh, that in fact happens. And this is the image that we're seeing on the cover. That's right. Yes, them waving. Uh, being looked at <clears throat> on inside the book, that's through binoculars. On the cover, it's through a telescope. But yeah, you're right. On the cover, Tintin does not have the mirror. Yes, and it's a single circle, not a double circle or or overlapping circles as a binocular. But uh, what I like is that uh, De Gorgonzola, Rastapopoulos, of course, does not want them to get rescued. Just says that they're just some more of those practical jokers who drift across the ocean in a nutshell. You know, it's the three. Though you know, it's the three. All the newspapers wrote about. You don't need anything. Proceed on your course. What is he referring to there? I think just to maybe to to Dr. Bombard himself. Oh, okay. This is the thing people are doing now. They're just drifting. Well, there's the Contiki expedition, you know, Thor Heyerdahl, that around that time period sailed from the the uh what what are those islands called near like the Poly, from Polynesia or whatever to didn't he like sail from there to from Easter Island to somewhere? Know, but, but just... I read that book, but I was many, many years ago, everybody. Very good. So uh, many so... years ago, I can't remember where he sailed from or to or where. I do remember it was called the Contiki, Contiki Expedition, though. Yeah, he sailed like in a little uh, handmade boat uh, that he made, and then he sailed just to prove that it could be done. Mm-hmm. Like how how people got, maybe it was to Hawaii, how that culture went from, <clears throat> excuse me, from Polynesia or from like Easter Islands all the way to Hawaii. Oh, so cool. All right. Well, hey, uh, this is one of those things where if we're wrong on any of this stuff, please let us know. SneakyDragon.com is our website. You know what? If I'm not really that wrong, but it's not that important to correct me, disagree with me. No, don't. Please correct Dave. Every little detail. Uh, so the uh, uh, other rich folks on the boat uh, uh, hear about this and they're like, oh, castaways, how delightful. Uh, so he's <laughs> yes. got to go and uh, pick them up. Doesn't want to. Has to. Yeah, uh, it has that fun element of, uh, <sighs> yeah, just that kind of, oh, this is getting my way. Oh, what a lark. Oh, good fun. We're rich. Ha ha. Yes, yes. So uh, they're picking up the castaway. Uh, the captain is so delighted that he dances a jig, falls uh, in the water again, and ends up with a jellyfish on his head. By the way, I think that type of jellyfish would sting him almost to death. Yes, <laughs> possibly. That looks like a man of war. That yeah. looks like you're yeah. not coming out of that uh, <laughs> smiling. Yeah. 
And then, of course, Tintin makes a reference to the famous painting by Jericho, The Raft of the Medusa. Everyone look it up. Oh, it's a great painting. Okay, I'm just saying, take your time right now and look it up. If you've been pause to the, the pause the podcast. If you've been to the Louvre, yep. you've seen it. Okay, I have been to the Louvre. So it's in that room of French paintings. It's a giant painting. Oh, it's of... the room of French paintings in yeah, the Louvre. Yeah. Okay, yeah, very yeah. good. Well, not every room has French paintings. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but it's just I'm it's, being a jerk. It's a giant. It's like it's like sixteen by twenty four feet. Okay, it's huge. This is a huge painting, and it's like people, a bunch of people, like on a on a have been shipwrecked and they're floating on a raft. Okay. And uh, yeah, you know that room that has like the David, the coronation of Napoleon and stuff in there? It's I quite an impressive room. All right. I'm, great... I might be looking it up right now. You might now. be looking it up right now. Okay. Uh, you know, it almost came up. Please continue. So, so Diego Gonzalez is very upset. He's by Lucifer, what's to be done? They mustn't see me. So he, he goes off to like to hide away so that Tintin and the cat, well, more that more Tintin can't see them because can't see him because Tintin knows who Rastopopolis is. Uh, Oh, yes. Okay. I have seen this painting before. Yeah, of course. If you've been there, you must have gone through that room. It's such a massively great room. I wish there were more uh, paintings of cheetahs than I would have uh, <laughs> You would have known right. exactly. Earlier. Well, you had to have gone and looked at the Botticelli. So that guy, he painted cheetahs by the by the score. Now, uh, they get picked up, and uh, who is on the boat but Castafiore? Yeah. And, of course, if you knew your Shakespeare, you'd know all about cheetahs. Because cheetahs never prospero. <laughs> Save it for the other podcast. <laughs> And, uh, so, uh, she recognizes Tintin. Yes. So now these guys can't be anonymous. Uh, there she just goes, uh, she's so happy to see them. Uh, I must go and welcome them. Art must embrace the children of adventure. That's a great line, by yes. the way. I think she's right. That is so true. I like her. And she's, she, in the name of the Marquis de Gorgonzola, welcome aboard. Yes, I do like her. She is actually a very nice person. Yeah. Despite her singing. Which we'll all admit everyone though, has. Though some people Nobody's seem to perfect. enjoy. Yeah, that's right. We know for some reason it grates on the captain and Tintin and Snowy, who howls mm-hmm. when he hears it. But uh, yeah, it's so great. Sen- I like, but I like cat extraction. Signor Castafiore, run for it. What shall we do? Hop back on the raft. <laughs> <laughs> They're so happy to be rescued. But this is that's that's better than this possibility. But no, it's great. Delighted to see you again, my dear Padlock or er, Herock and Roll, Signora Castorioli. Herock and Roll, which I like. <laughs> also used in the French version as well. So Very good. That's Hergé's little joke. Because this is 58, you know, 57, 58 that he's, that he's writing this. So Pretty hip. Pretty hip. Yep. Something that was happening at the time. Yeah. And uh, But uh, she's told, I'm sorry, Signora, but his lordship has given orders. These poor men are completely exhausted. And then there's the risk of an infection, you know, and uh, the captain is very happy to be being led away. <laughs> but this is fantastic. She says, but my good man, I'm not ill, says Signora Castafiore. So, uh, the Gargonzola, or Ras- let's just call him Rastapopoulos, asks uh, his uh, Captain Parker, he says, have you questioned them? He says, yes, my lord. They were aboard a Sambuk being taken to Mecca. This morning, their boat was machine gun and set on fire by aircraft from Kemed. After shooting down one of the planes, they made themselves a raft. Then they rescued the pilot of the aircraft. Now, I don't quite know why we're getting this much detail of the story when we have just been reading it, but that's yeah. fine. It's a kind of weird exposition dump. I think it's also because uh, you want him to be happy, going like, ah, oh, very good, all right, this is excellent. Everything's going according to plan and nothing could possibly go wrong. Oh, and uh, Signora Castafiore, she knows them. Oh, and my plans, they come down like a house of cards. Diavolo. That's right. So uh, we go to... I think it's Diavolo, isn't it? Sure. Diavolo. Look. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if we get any names wrong, uh, let us know. We'll send you a button <laughs> if we in get the any, mail. If we get any foreign expletives wrong, yeah. let us know. We apologize. Uh, so we see uh, Tintin, the captain, and the pilot, and Snowy all enjoying a nice meal. 
uh, together. Uh, Tintin is thinking the Marquis de Gargonzola's uh, yacht. It's fantastic. I must be dreaming. But he looks mm, not too happy about the whole situation mm-hmm. He here. does. doesn't look very happy at all. That's right. The captain seems very happy eating a big uh, chicken leg. Yep. Why wouldn't he be? He escaped drinking seawater. <laughs> That's true. So the Marquis des- decides what he needs to do. He realizes that there's a ship nearby, the Ramona, and that tomorrow they can accidentally meet, accidentally in quotes, and he can transfer Tintin and Haddock onto that ship and just get rid of them that way. So uh, at the at the near... Uh, next day at dawn. Next day at dawn, there we go. Uh, they're uh, rushed rushed up and like, all right, come on, come on, time, uh, time you're going to go there. So uh, a few minutes later, they're uh, put on board the boat. And uh, so that's that. And now, my fine friends, I wish you a pleasant journey. What's the name of this character again? De Gorgonzola? De Gorgonzola. There we go. Yes. Or Rastapopoulos. Rastapopoulos. <laughs> so, uh, Doing his best penguin. Actually, the uh, the captain's enjoying this. He's like, oh, this is a nice to be uh, back aboard a good old freighter. Yeah, he's enjoying it. Yeah, and actually, uh, in order to research this, Ergie actually went on a trip. He and Bob Demur, uh, I guess, used, used their connections to to um, get onto an actual freighter, a Swedish freighter, mm. called the Rain Astrid, which, uh, Queen, a- Queen Astrid, I guess, uh, which, which sailed from Antwerp to Gothenburg and back. And so they went on that, and they just made sketches and took photos of various parts of the ship and apparently drank a lot. Because yeah. you can only sketch and, and photograph for so long. That's before... the full haddock experience. That's the full haddock experience. So they were doing that. Meanwhile, Roger Leloup was back in the studio preparing a lot of car drawings. <laughs> so, uh, so the Tintin and the captain realized they've been locked in their, uh, in their room. Uh, and uh, the door swings open, smacking the captain in the face. <laughs> and it's, bum, 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 Ellen. Alan. Yeah. One time Ellen Thompson, but of course they took that away because of the Thompson twins. Right, that makes sense. It would, be, it would be weird if that was the Thompson triplets and one just didn't look at all like them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so Alan's like, this is a happy reunion, eh, old bottlenose? Uh, we must have a drink on it. <laughs> mm, uh. and, and this guy is such a jerk that the captain is refusing whiskey. Yeah. He's refusing it. Well, if we think back to the crab with the golden claws, Alan was controlling him through whiskey. He was keeping the captain drunk in order to right. smuggle, using the boat as a, as a smuggling operation. That's right. So he, uh, once again, we get a little bit of exposition here. Uh, you know, uh, what's going on here, says the, says the captain. Alan says, uh, how have we, and uh, Alan responds, ended up here? Quite simple. I command one of D. Gorgonzola's freighters. Yesterday I had the signal ordering me to alter coast, course. Uh, so this morning we meet the Scheherazade. Very good, excellent. As if by accident. Neatly done, eh? Very. And may we inquire what you plan to do with us? If you're sensible, you'll be put ashore. Uh, but not at Mecca, at uh, Wadessa. But that's murder! Uh, Sheik Bab el has put a price on our heads. Oh, you're breaking my heart. <laughs> but here, you must uh, you must be thirsty. Here, uh, drink uh, drink my health. Not on your life, he says, slapping the whiskey away into Tintin's face. And you'll put us ashore in Mecca or else. Or else what? Meh, meh, meh. And leaves the uh, bottle of whiskey there. And, ah, uh, and says, don't forget, we're in the Red Sea. There's no shortage of sharks. Not that you'll see any. But at least it gives it a context to the title. That is true. That does justify it. Bye for now. We dock the next day after tomorrow. So there's plenty of time to solve one important question. Do you sleep with your beard under or over the sheet? Yeah, it's one of those tricky questions that once you ask yourself. Oh, it's a mean thing. I used to have a friend who would do this kind of thing to people. Yeah. Be like, so do you chew your food more than 20 times or less than 20 times? Yeah. What? And then they could never enjoy their food again. Mm. Do you say Vancouver or Vancouver? I think I say, yeah. It's the sort of thing, like, or when you're laying in bed at night and you think to yourself, 
you start thinking about breathing and then you then you stop basically stop being able to breathe automatically and you have to start doing breathing yourself yeah then you start worrying about what if i stop breathing you know ever had that experience yeah yeah it's weird similar thing uh, so, Overthinking so the captain can't sleep because of this beard over or under situation. And I just want to talk about the whiskey for a second, too. Please. Because uh, Loch Lomond whiskey, which uh, for some reason we all associate with Tintin. But if we think back through all the Tintin we've read, how little we've seen of Loch Lomond. Basically the, bl- the Black Island, which was done much later. Because in the original Black Island, it was Johnny Walker whiskey. It was an mm. actual actual whiskey. So they changed it to a non-commercial brand. In this book, it's not Loch Lomond. It's a Hague, which was an actual whiskey. So it's weird, like how much we associate Loch Lomond whiskey with Tintin, but really it's in very few books. It's one of the, it's kind of that thing where we make it bigger than it actually is because we remember it. And so we insert it ourselves into the stories. Interesting. So, uh, the captain's looking over at the whiskey, uh, but we've got, uh, the angel and devil on his shoulder. Mm. Angel saying, Oh, once a drunkard, always a drunkard. But the, uh, devil going, I'm on one sip. Yeah, good point. Why not? Uh, but Which then tells the ship- us that the cap, or that Erge must have watched animated cartoons. Yeah, I wonder what was the really common yeah, I cliche what the from those. First example of that was, I don't know, Devil and Angel on shoulder. Either Disney or or in uh, like uh, well, I mean, besides it being like a in this kind of style, I think of it as being an animated thing, like yeah. something you'd see in an animated cartoon. I mean, the first one I saw, I think it was probably like a Donald Duck. Yeah, probably. Donald Duck or Goofy, one of the two that have like the mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so I feel, you know what I'm betting is, uh, we're going to find out it was an old editorial cartoon thing from like, uh, the old turn of the century. Probably. That's what I think. Sure. Uh, so, uh, the bottle breaks cause the, uh, ship, uh, lurches a bit and the angel has a good smile and, uh, the demon version. But why uh, is it smiling? Because it's, no one's overcome over, like Haddock has not overcome temptation. He's just had temptation taken away from him by by circumstances. Hey, you know what? Don't be smug about that. No, let me tell you something. Don't be smug. Let me tell you something that's in a little prayer, and that's, lead me not into temptation. So if the temptation's gone away, everything's working according to plan. It's fine. Okay. Dandy. Uh, I do like that the... Uh, uh, the thank de- you for quoting the only psalm you know. Hmm? And, uh, anyway. And everyone knows. <laughs> sure. Uh, we'll do our Bible podcast another time. But I like that the demon has a little forked uh, tail. Yes. Forked tail. It's nice. So, uh, so the captain goes back to over, under, ah, uh, but then he's like, oh, you sleep on the side. Everything's fine. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of bumping and banging. He's like, there, I'm dreaming already. No, nope. oh, it's no dream. Uh, those, uh, shouts that, uh, stampeding, the engines have stopped. Oh, that's real enough. So he gets up, uh, wakes, uh, sure up there, and, he says. and, uh, trips and falls on his face. Which doesn't seem very realistic. If the captain is an experienced sailor, he should be used to sleeping in a bunk bed. That's true. Maybe as a captain, you always sleep in the bottom. I don't know. Maybe, but I also think he's had so much bed problems. You know, over, <laughs> under, over, under. The sheets are probably tangled by this Dis- point. Discombobulated? So it all makes sense. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Tintin asks if he fell out of his bunk. You know, where do you think I came from? Mars? Well, you know, well, maybe in another future story. Uh, so uh, he's saying that they're abandoning ship. And uh, they use a trunk to bash through the door, uh, get through it, drop the trunk on uh, on the captain's foot. Because why do all these things happen to him? Well, because he's not wearing his shoes. That's a good point. Poor safety captain. And it turns out the ship's on fire as the crew uh, as the crew rows away. No, oh, terrible people. You can really see the research that uh, Hergé and Demur did in in a shot like that second panel on the last tier of the ship tilting, and then they're looking down that down along the the what do we call it i don't know what that part of a ship is called but okay. passageway gangway whatever I don't know. when i Looking spend some there, time as a fisherman i'll tell you well i did not fish on a giant boat like this uh yeah just looking at it but just, you did fish on a boat which makes you very cool thank you yeah 
Where else do you fish? I guess you could fish in a stream. Off a dock? Yeah, I guess it's true. That's not very cool, though. It's kind of lame. Kind of lame. Okay, um, so yeah, a lot of nice shots from this boat, but I really like that. I like, really like those shots of them walking down the uh, gangway or whatever you're going to call it. So then they hear calling from the uh, the ship's hold. Help, help. Offende, offende. Yeah, some people are offended in there, and they hear... Oh, brother. <laughs> Sorry. And we've all forgotten the cheetah joke. It's gone. <laughs> Boy, no, no forgiveness. Okay, moving on. Uh, they try to they try to open it up, and uh, they hear, uh, "We're good black men. We want to come out. We can't breathe. We're afraid." And it's like, "Oh no! Uh, you know what should we do, Captain? We can't just abandon them. Yeah, you're right. We can't just leave the burning ship. So they go grab a hose. Uh, we get another gag of the hose spraying the captain. Yep. Water does feature uh, prominently. I just in like the, the fact that it's like a repeating motif to the story as the water. It also takes a little edge off of the uh, tension. Uh, so, it doesn't, but it, well, it doesn't. It doesn't because you're feeling to yourself. Oh, they're not getting the job done here. He's yeah. There's caught in the spray of the hose, so it's actually worse than you know. Then we have Tintin has the same problem. The hoses are so forceful. So, uh, so Tintin manages to grab the hose, get sprayed himself, gives it to Haddock, who says thanks. You go get another hose. You take care. You know, we'll, we need two of the hoses. So they start spraying, but then a giant wave hits the ship. This is very fortunate. Washes up over the ed- edge the edge of the ship and puts out the fire. We cut then to Alan and his men out on their, their lifeboat out in the water. And he sees that the ship, the pirate fire has gone out. He says, turn about men. So now Tintin, so Tintin and Cap, the captain are talking and the captain says, a huge wave. I was really nearly washed overboard, but it's out. So he says, good luck. Now for those poor fellows below, captain. You're right. But first of all, because <laughs> these captains, right, there's things they need to do. They need to get the engine going now. So yeah. he, he runs down to research the engine. These engines. guys are coming back, mm-hmm. and they're exactly. all toast. That's right. And as he says that, we get another great shot of this angled shot of the uh, of the curve of the boat as we go up towards the 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 bow of the boat. You get that curve of the ship. Oh, it's well, really well drawn, and I can tell it's from from you know someone sketched it out or taken a picture of it. Right. And uh, so half an hour later, as uh, Alan and his men make their way back towards the ship, he says, "By thunder, the Ramona is drying away. Someone has got her engines going." So. Phew, that was no joke alone, but she's underway at last. Magnificent, Captain, and now for those Negroes, says Tintin, but the Captain says, There's something more urgent. We send out this distress signal by radio. And now we discover that the radio was smashed to pieces, and that Scoot is laying in there, unconscious, or maybe dead. Nope, he's alive, they say. They pick him up. What happened? It turns out that Scoot wanted to try to rescue Tintin and Haddock, and was then knocked unconscious and left for dead by Ellen and his men, who, of course, also smashed the radio so that no... no uh, no SOS could be sent. So now, uh, Haddock finally says, let's rescue these poor fellows. So he goes out there. Yeah, please save us. We're ill. We're dying. Help, help. Uh, let's, uh, he lets them out, and uh, they turn on him yeah. and start to, to beat him, thinking that he's uh, one of the people that uh, put him down there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, which makes sense. Uh, uh, Tintin, what do you think of these drawings of black people? Um... What year is it? The fifties. Yeah, eh, it's not the worst. It's not. The, it's it, we're we're getting there. I guess yeah. we're coming. We're not totally full on caricature, and I think they're trying to draw them from positive. But yeah, the lips are a bit big. Yeah, yeah, still a bit caricatured. Yeah, but you know, I guess the only argument is that everyone's caricatured. So okay, that's true. 
but to like, caricature it in a different way. You look at you look at Tintin. Like our noses aren't that big. Okay, but look the at biggest Captain Haddock. No, I understand. But look at but look at Tintin and look at uh, Haddock side by side. They're both people of the same race. Uh, but yeah, their notice, noses are radically different sizes. Their eyes are different, d- drawn in different ways. They're very distinct, differently drawn. Whereas everyone there uh, from from below is drawn in the same way. They've all got basically the same type of noses. They've got the same eyes. They've all got the same lips. They've yeah. all got the same hair. Okay. So, and you know, again, I get that it's being done in a positive way, and and they're all innocents. Yeah. You know, and and done there, and they're not, but you know, and here again. You know, you make your own choices and feelings on this kind of thing. It's the fifties; you take what you get. Okay. You know, so uh, so they uh, they explain uh, that they thought you know you were we didn't know you were a good white man. Oh, we thought you were the man who shut uh, us in the bottom of the ship. You know, where are those bad men? Uh, they've all left us. But if you help us, uh, we'll take you wherever you want to go. Uh, to Mecca? Yes. Uh, we're good Muslims. We're making a pilgrimage to the tomb of the Prophet. All right. We'll take you to Mecca on condition that you obey all orders uh, for a start. I need some men as uh, stokers. They volunteer, they volunteer, volunteer. And we go two days later. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, I'm just like, okay, listen. All right, your days as being slaves are over. So, okay, you can. Uh, we'll take you where you want to go, but you got to do everything that we tell you. Yeah. All right, yay, sweet freedom. <laughs> yeah. It, but I guess sweet of freedom, course it's different. Sweet freedom yeah. or, or float to your demise. Absolutely, here absolutely. So two days later, the captain is looking at a map. It's like if my reckoning is correct, we should uh, soon sight uh, Jidda, uh, the port for Mecca. And, so, and Tintin goes, "Yes, those poor fellows, nearly at the end of their journey." And uh, and uh, the captain goes, "Poor fellows, you don't still believe they're being sold as slaves? It's absurd." And I, I like that, that he's yeah. like, no, this story doesn't... Things like this don't happen anymore. We live in modern times. That's right. This doesn't wash as well. And I'm sure people who read the article at the time felt the same way. But there actually was uh, a report done by the French government looking into it. And they found that it was actually, like, it was happening quite a bit. There were people coming to, like, African villages saying that they were representatives from, from Mecca and, and, you know, offering to take people there. And then they would just sell them into <laughs> slavery. Yeah. Terrible. So uh, the captain's uh, smugly uh, lightness uh, pipe saying, yeah, you've been reading too many thrillers. There's no slave trading nowadays. Uh, and Tintin asks, is there any coke aboard the ship? He's like, what? No. Uh, but then they're distracted uh, by one of the men saying, Effendi, come look. Uh, ship's coming towards us. I guess you could also bring up like Filipino people who are brought to Saudi Arabia and stuff like that and have their passport taken away from them. Yeah. And are stuck there. No, there's slavery to this day. Absolutely yeah. still. Uh, so they're looking through binoculars, uh, and the captain goes, so it is, a Sambuk, uh, the harbor pilot from, uh, Jidda, perhaps. No, they're till too far from the shore. A fisherman? No, he's signaling to us. Well, we'll heave to, see what he wants. And, uh, up comes a man, uh, you know, onto the ship, uh, asking if Captain Allen is up here. Nope, nope, uh, he's finished, gone, I'm captain now. Ah, so you've replaced him. Uh, good, good. Uh, is the coke of best quality this time? The Coke, says the captain again. What is this nonsense about Coke? There's no Coke on board. No Coke on board. Ha <laughs> ha. He asks one of the uh, black men to come come forward and looks in his mouth saying, mm, yeah, not so bad. Teeth are quite good. And then all of a sudden, the penny drops for the captain. Yeah. He realizes what's going on. And he loses his mind. Yeah. He could not be more angrier. More angrier. He couldn't be angrier. <laughs> yeah. I'm so angry that I'm, uh, my grammar's gotten uh, terrible. <laughs> Got terrible suddenly. So yes. the so the captain lunges towards him. Uh, you trafficker in human flesh, you deserve to be strung up on the mizzen yard arm. Uh, he pulls a knife. Uh, one of the men yells to look out. 
uh, grabs the knife, uh, saving the captain's life. Uh, the knife drops. Not almost, so much Snowy, though. Yeah, almost hits Snowy. You know, uh, and the captain starts a barrage of insults that go for almost the remainder of the page. As That's he, great. As he leaves. Because, uh, yeah, so he's yelling at the, as the, as the uh, character climbs on the ladder, he's yelling at him, uh, calling him a filibuster and a gallows bird, baboon, carpet seller, paranoic, pockmark, cannibal. Continues yelling and then uh, Tina says, no good, Captain. He's too far away now. That's what you think. He hasn't heard the last of me. He runs and grabs a megaphone and continues yelling. Body snatcher, pirate, ecoplasm, vulture, vandal. Yes. I think this time he really has it of earshot. Yeah, more as the pity, dirty slave trader. <laughs> and then uh, Captain asks, what were you meaning about Coke? It's nice we, that he's, he can, he's able to condemn him, but in a, a comedic way. So there's, a, there's something humorous about it. It's not just mawkish or, or self-righteous. You know, it's, it's a moment of... Yes, we agree with you, Captain, but also it's, you know, you're, yeah. you're having, we're having some fun with it as well, you know. So, uh, Tintin found a scrap of paper on the table, uh, and it said, uh, deliver Coke to the, uh, El, uh, Al- at, Al-Qaid? Al-Qaid at, uh, Jidda. And, uh, the slave trader is, by the reared of the prophet, the dog shall pay clearly for this. Dearly. Dearly. He'll clearly pay dearly for this. So, meanwhile, uh, they want to, is the radio fixed yet? No, it's not. So the t- uh, Haddock says, well, I'm going to talk to the cargo. <laughs> you take the wheel and steer due south. We'll head for Djibouti. Okay. So they're heading, I uh, guess, towards Africa. To, so these people are, won't be sent, taken to Mecca uh, and, and enslaved. So he tells them that. And this is kind of a good scene where they're just not yeah. understanding him. Or they're understanding him, but it's just, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, we need to go there. This is part of our religion. We have to travel there at least once. So... Uh, he says, you know, I'm afraid a very different fate waits you there. He goes, no, we're good. We want to go to Mecca. Finally, he storms off, very angry, so angry that there's a red cloud full of images above his head. He says, I can't do a thing. I've tried the lot. You can't shift them. They want to go to Mecca. Stop. That's all. It's like banging your head against a brick wall. But then we, we then we see that uh, an old man in the group. Yeah. Well, we hear some shouting, and we can't yeah. read it. This is what I was saying, that some of it was translated into Yoruba. Okay. This would be it. So there's a little bit of authentic African here as they're arguing with each other. And uh, Hedda comes down and says, no, then what's all this quarreling? So you go on. Oh, okay. Uh, and the old man in the group says, uh, I want to go to Mecca. I tell them, uh, you're a good white man. You speak the truth. I remember in my village, three young men went to Mecca two years ago. They not come back. They no doubt slaves. I not want to go to Mecca. I do not want to be slave. And they all realize slavery is all that awaits them there. So they, uh, the captain is very relieved that they've changed their mind on this. Yeah. So they carry so on that good way. for the man with experience who remembers what happened in the past. <laughs> Suddenly, they uh, hear an airplane and look up and see uh, a plane flying over the top. Obviously, not a good visit because it's telling a submarine the location of the ship. Mm. So they wonder what it was. Captain yeah. says, he's going off. I wonder what he was up to. And Tina says, I don't know, but I don't care for that type of visit. Right. So the trap is closing. Now we go to the next page, and we're going a few hours later. We're asking uh, Scoot, how's the radio working? This is Tintin. Nope. Uh, the radio's not working. Tintin trips uh, on the cord, bringing the radio smash. Well, we should mention that Tintin recommends to the captain that he change course. Yes. To throw off the, the what the plane saw. Good like change point. Their, and so then they hear the sound of the airplane again, and Tintin runs outside. Yeah, cool. and that's what brings the radio smashing down when he trips on the cord. And Scoot says, well, now it's it's, it's broken. <laughs> it's quite broken now. Right. So the plane goes albatross to shark. Uh, found Ramona again, uh, steering due south. She is 30 miles east of uh, Dalek Kebar Island. And uh, the captain is like, oh, this is all getting on my nerves. And he's shaking his fists. 
you know, and uh, then gets a flying fish in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good stuff. Yes. Uh, so the the submarine is preparing to dive, and Tintin is apologizing to Scoot for wrecking the radio, but it looks out. looks like that uh, made it work. Yeah, that's... Bang. Like smashing an amnesiac on the head, it restores the memory. Sure. Smashing a radio it's, fixes it's it. It's as though Tintin is the Fonz. <laughs> it is. Before the Fonz was the Fonz. Uh, so uh, happy happy Tintin running out saying, Captain, the radio, it's going, and runs right into him. Uh, you know, and the, the Captain's having enough of being smashed <laughs> up a bit. He's just, he's, he's yeah. reasonably upset yes. uh, about that anyway. Uh, he's saying he mentions that a flying face uh, s- uh, smashed him. A, fi- a flying fish, yeah. Flying fish smashed him in the face, you know. And Tintin's flying fish. I must have a look at them with my binoculars, because even in times of crisis, well, that sounds interesting. Let's go check that out. Uh, so he looks at them skimming over the waves. He counts one, two, three, and then notices a periscope. Uh, Captain doesn't believe it, but then spots it and it's like, oh, now we're in some trouble. Uh, action stations. Uh, well, I just like how he said, "Calm down, calm. Nothing to get excited yeah, about." Yeah, that's right. You know, young fellow. He calls down. Says, he says, uh, "Calm down, young shaver. Periscope <laughs> or no periscope, keep calm." And then he sees these ten thousand thundery typhoons. A periscope. There, it's true. Action stations. Fire. SOS. The radio. Scoot. Women and children first. <laughs> yes. And the next scene, Tintin's in a dress with Snowy as a no. He's not. <laughs> Snowy's dressed as a child. Yes. Uh, but the Tintin's now doing the calming down. All right, all is not less lost yet. You know, you're right. Keep cool, keep calm, don't panic. Oh, disaster the end. There's nothing we can do. If they're de Gargonzola's people, we're finished. Uh, the ammunition in the forward hold, a torpedo in there, and you know the rest. Oh, of course. Only the torpedo isn't here yet. Come on, hurry. Everyone on the alert. So uh, we're now uh, having a torpedo is fired. Uh, and they do a hard, hard a starboard, uh, and uh, it misses them. Uh, and, uh, and then we go to. I'm going <laughs> to. Sorry. Uh, we go to uh, SOS, SOS. A torpedo has just missed us. SOS, SOS. Please hurry, SOS, uh, is uh, what's going over the radio. Uh, that's being picked up, and, and like uh, the people picking picking up the signal are like, what's all this ballyhoo about a submarine? There isn't a war on. Uh, is there? Meanwhile, yes. back in the submarine. Americans, of course. <laughs> there we are. Yeah, we know that because they say ballyhoo. Oh, very good. Is that something Americans say? I, think, I guess so. That's why the translators chose that. Uh, and this suddenly, f- this is the first favorable appearance by Americans in a Tintin story. Well, congratulations, Americans. Strangely enough, coinciding with the first appearance of Tintin in America in the Golden Book series. So remember, we talked about when we were doing, yeah. uh, we we're talking about, I think, uh, Red Rackham's Treasure and, and uh, well, the first one, the uh, Secret of the Unicorn and Red Rackham's Treasure. Those were the first books that were translated into America, into, uh, I shouldn't say into American, but into the, into English for the American market. And, uh, yeah, so those were coming about at this time. And so, yes, now Americans are the good guys. Cool. And I like that Tintin is uh, happy the distress call has been received. He goes, hooray! Someone's heard our call. Yes. But they're going to get there in three hours, by which point, uh, who knows what. So we're going from the submarine's point of view again. Uh, they're saying they can't escape us now. And uh, the uh, the captain says, by rights, he should be astern to starboard. In a few minutes, I'll turn to port again to confuse him. And so they do that. Uh, and they dodge I like the, again. I like that the captain is very competent in this sequence. Oh, he's, he's, a, he's a good He's captain. doing a really good job of, of second-guessing and, and, you know, kind of fooling the, the U-boat captain. Right. So another, By the way, that is a U-boat. That's not just a regular submarine. That's a German U-boat. Okay. So uh, probably p- piloted by a former U-boat captain. 
Very good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, another uh, torpedo is fired. But we know he's evil because he says, by the power of Satan. <laughs> yes. That's, they dodged us again. Yeah, that's another thing. Uh, rubbing your hands together with glee and saying, by the power of Satan, or powers of Satan. Yeah. Uh, so the torpedo is fired. Uh, and the captain goes, uh, torpedo to starboard, thunder and typhoons. Quick, the engine room, uh, telegraph. And, yes, uh, we finally find out what that, that item is called. I've always wondered. Yeah, a, a ship's telegraph. telegraph. So he tries to do full speed ahead, but the handle breaks off. And, of course, he yells, billions of blue, blistering barnacles. We cut to the torpedo heading towards the ship. Mm-hmm. He's trying to fix this uh, the engine room telegraph. The torpedo misses again. You and know, he has, luckily it passed ahead of them, So, it was, but that wasn't due to his skill. That was just a bad shot by the U-boat. Wait, do you think so? It's like when, he, when he's uh, doing the full speed ahead, isn't it because it breaks off? Do they survive? Because he, he would have gotten them killed with full speed ahead. Yeah. It breaks off. That's yeah. what I mean. It's nothing to do with the skill of the captain. It's just it's just a mere miss by the... Oh, I understand. I yeah. understand. Yeah. But the, yeah. the captain would have would have uh, yeah, yeah. made a bad choice there. So... Uh, well, he wouldn't have... If he had been... If he'd gone full speed ahead, he may, it may have gone past them. Like, if he didn't be able to get the oh, engines to go, he would have sped past it. Okay. This way, it, it's possible that it would have... If it had been shot correctly, it would have hit, him, it would have hit them right. right in the... Where he wants to hit them, right in the front part of the, the hole. So the captain is trying to uh, repair the telegraph oh. and smashing his uh, face into it. He's kicking it. He's hurting himself. And uh, back to the submarine's point of view, uh, number three and number four tubes are ready. And uh, we see Tintin uh, go out to check out how that, or here's the captain, you know, who has now bashed the telegraph just within an inch of its life. And we hear a big barom where uh, the captain goes, too late, they've got us, barum, <laughs> again. And uh, no, it's airplanes, and uh, they're depth charges. And he goes, oh, well, I, I really thought we'd been torpedoed. It's Navy, U.S. Navy seaplanes with the pirates uh, for a target. Uh, they're certainly machines from Los Angeles. Why do you say that? Because he says that. Oh, the Los Angeles, yes, okay. From yeah. the Los Angeles, sorry. Yeah. Yes, the Curtis SC-1, the Seahawk. Uh, not the greatest plane, but if you're a fan of... Aviation, then you will like the Seahawk. Right. It's an interesting thing because it's had the single pontoon uh, in the middle of it, which was originally designed to carry a bomb, but didn't work very well because uh, the pontoon leaked then. So what it became was an extra fuel tank. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, the submarine surrenders, and then uh, and then the, the plane's going, Hello, unidentified submarine, remain on the surface. Stop your engines. One suspicious move, and we'll blow you out of the water. So uh, what happens? Uh, what happens now is a diver is being sent down uh, to put a limpet mine on the hull. Uh, with the ammunition aboard, it'll look like an accident. So the diver goes uh, goes underwater, and uh, once again, happy captain dancing a jig. If there's one thing the captain needs to learn, stop dancing a jig. Yes, it leads to nothing uh, but ho- but horrible things. But yeah, he's Very dancing. Horrible. Tintin's dancing. Uh, the uh, the the uh, Scoot? pilot is uh, Scoot is dancing, and so is uh, Snowy. And the uh, the uh, mar uh, the cargo men are looking up, going, uh, "That is a white man's folk dance." <laughs> it sure it sure is. The yeah. diver uh, is coming up to the ship, saying, uh, "I do I do like the uh, speech bubble for him." Oh, saying the uh, they they said the ammunition was in the forepart. Well, just it's just it's that all it's, bubbly. This isn't it's a form of bubbles. Yeah, I, like I like the first one there where he's going, "What a job!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a living. Yeah. Oh, I had that one covered up so I couldn't see it. But yeah, no, it's actually the. Well, let's talk about. We, I can, we can talk about this the diver in a second. But let's you go through the sequence. Sure, we'll... sure. So the diver is going to be putting this limpet mine on the on the ship, but the captain uh, decides it's time to uh, drop anchor. 
Uh, he uh, drops it like 80, with 80 phantoms of chain, which hits the diver in the head, dropping the mine. The uh, diver uh, does a lot of cussing. Yes. Uh, the mine is eaten. Once again, not cussing, state of mind. Sure, maybe. Uh, you do we, it the whatever the, way you want. It. We hear the captain cussing. We don't need to draw balloons, people cussing. Okay. We hear crumbs, sapristi, yep. great snakes, yep. bashy bazooks. Sure. You let us know what you think, folks. Uh, anyway, a very cartoony shark, which makes this even sadder, uh, eats the limpet mine, swallows it, uh, gets the hiccups. Kind of a, a callback to the shark eating the camera in, Absolutely. Uh, in uh, the Red Rackham's treasure. Yeah. Uh, and or is it a camera? No, it's a chest. The chest with the That's parchment. right, yeah, yes. Yeah. And then an hour later, uh, Tintin is spotting the Los Angeles. Uh, we see the... Uh, <laughs> We see the diver, uh, his ha- head all bandaged up. <laughs> it's a very good drawing there. Um, uh, but they're going, oh, but it's okay. They're going to blow up uh, any moment now. And then, kaboom! Yeah, hick, boom. And I just, okay, you do feel sorry for the shark. But it yes. is a great payoff that you have the boom and then you have these question marks from every single object in the uh, horizon. <laughs> yes, that is true. I do like that. Uh, so just to talk a little bit about the po- the diver. This actually was, was inspired uh, by an actual person. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named Lionel Buster Crabbe. He was a British frogman that worked in like World War II. He's kind of a, a well-known figure. But he was hired by uh, British intelligence to spy on a Russian ship, a Soviet ship that had docked in, uh, I think, I can't remember where, Portsmouth, let's say. I don't know, okay. actually. But, it, you know, so it's supposed to be like a goodwill visit, but British intelligence still wanted to like spy on it. So they sent this guy. And he's kind of a bit older by this time and a little out of shape. And he disappeared. And a few days later, his headless body washed ashore. Ew. Yeah, and so, but there's actually a picture of him, like in his suit, holding a limpet mine. It's the same way this guy is. Yeah. So that was kind of the inspiration for for this sex ah, sequence. Now about the shark, Erge later apologized for this scene. You know, he just said that you know he kind of wished he hadn't done it now, and he says at the time I still believed that sharks were big evil beasts. So uh, he did regret that sequence. But I have to say the payoff is worth the uh, horrible. Uh, loss of a shark, and I think it's it's a very cartoony drawing of a yeah. shark. Let's face it; it's pretty silly. I, it's hard to get too upset about the loss of a cartoon shark. Very good. That's how Dave feels about sharks. Cartoon sharks. Right to him. Cartoon sharks. Right to him. Write me a cartoon. Doesn't letter. like a jabber jaw. Doesn't like a <laughs> Mister Jaws. I do not. Doesn't like any of those. All right, I'll throw it back over to you. The next morning, I will plant a limpet mine on jabber jaws. The next morning, D. Gorgonzola, aka Rastopopolis, is. Uh, at his radio, still no news from Kurt and his submarine. What are they playing at, the fools? He intercepts a message that uh, says the naval crafts have intercepted the uh, MS Sherazad and, uh, to, and uh, to arrest the owner, name of Rastopopolis, alias the Marquis de Gorgonzola. He goes, what? Lost? All is lost, but it's impossible. Yeah, he pops out his monocle. Yes, he's so surprised. The phone rings, not drawn by Hergé. He answers it. What? Come on to the bridge? I haven't time, Captain. What? A warship? I'm coming now. He comes up to the the deck. He sees that uh, the ship is signaling to him. They're flashing, saying that it's ordering him to leave. Uh, or sorry, heave to, so that they have yep. to stop the ship and and drop anchor. Gorgonzola says, all right, stop the engines and launch my personal barge. I'll go myself and tell those insolent cowboys what I think of their manners. So we see uh, Diego Gorgonzola in his, in his barge saying, do not insist, my friends, I will go alone. As he, and so then he starts heading towards the warship. Suddenly his his ship, his barge, mysteriously begins to sink. It goes under, and then we cut that Tigranzola is in a submarine. Looks says, like it's whoops. the one uh, designed by Calculus. Kind of, yeah. He says, whoops, that's done the trick. 
Just you catch me now, gentlemen. Ha ha ha. He laughs. Yeah, Calculus Invention has come around to bite Tintin. And then we see a, uh, a whole bunch of uh, newspaper headlines. Yes, what we get here is called Only 62 Pages. Only 62 Pages. So Erge has to tie up about 400 different knots of this story to try and uh, to kind of tie it up. So what happens well, to Mopasha? Well, why don't you tell us what's in the news today, oh boy? Well, it turns out that slavery still exists. Tra- traffic- traffickers in human lives use the code word Coke. Okay. That, re- that shocks the world. What about Mopasha? What happened to him? Well, uh, he was ousted. Okay. Amir Ben Khalishazab, we're all worried about him. Ah, he's restored to power. Uh, will the Red Sea surrender the body of Rastapopoulos? Probably not. Probably not, because uh, it's a big sea and it, it probably won't wash up. Oh, about, he's how, still alive. How about Captain Allen? Captain Allen, well, he was picked up in a Danish cargo vessel. Uh, a pirate submarine was in the Red Sea. That captain of that was uh, arrested and the crew was arrested. Meanwhile, Alcazar has ousted tapioca in San Theodorus in a coup d'etat. Uh, the United Nations... Uh, delegates are demanding international control of Mecca pilgrimage transport. And uh, where did Sheikh Bab Air get his warplanes? Well, it turns out that he acquired them through Dawson on behalf of Rastapopoulos. So Dawson is also up the creek without a paddle. And Tintin was in a new adventure, which he could not be bothered to write about. Right. Also, uh, sub sub headline on that, what am I chopped liver, says Captain Haddock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, he didn't want to go, so he doesn't get any any kudos for that. Right. If you're forced to go, it's because your pipe explodes. Then you get nothing. Is that right? Is yeah, that how it goes? That's a rule. Okay. And then they put underneath that, yeah, the guy who landed on the moon. That's him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's still working as a reporter. Why do you ask? Anyway, a fortnight later, because we can't, you know, there we go. we got to say it in a fancy way now. Two weeks. There you are. Oh, la, la, la. Someone knows his fortnights. Very nice. <laughs> yes, I do. Doesn't know a cougar from a jaguar from a leopard. But Oh, I know my cougars. Oh. All right. So uh, they're walking uh, towards Marlin Spike. Holy cow. Are we seeing this from a different angle? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We've oh, seen wow. Marlin Spike from a different angle. You're right. Guys, there's a spotting of Marlin Spike someone, from a bit of the side. Someone has Holy moly. Someone took the time Folks, to travel. Folks, the, the, the podcast is over. <laughs> we can end <laughs> it. We're done. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Okay, so they're walking Finally. towards Marlin Spike. Uh, and the captain's saying, What a joy to be home again and to breathe the country air. Here are the old familiar sounds. Listen, it's the sound of a motor. It's the gardener mowing the lawn. And then, puff, puff, both of them go flying up in the air, uh, butt over a tea kettle. Uh, and hearing zing, bang, bong, uh, great snakes. It's Professor Calculus. What's he invented this time? Uh, he has invented crazy roller skates that are huge yep. and just knock the two of them over yes. uh explaining uh their motor roller skates for long for a long time i've been trying to find an answer to the traffic problem i'm thinking of a flexible handy lightweight machine these are not a million miles away from something i have seen recently is that right yeah it's like you know the segway scooter yeah that without the uh holding on handle part oh wow. it's just that wow it's not it's not miles from what this is and uh saw a couple of people with them in uh, California recently. Hmm. So, uh, so he explains this. And the were, Catholic, were they mall cops? They were not mall okay. cops. They were. Uh, I don't think mall cops could could do. It's tricky. It's yeah, trickier than it's tricky. it's, that it seems. Uh, so the captain goes fine, and they'll have to install traffic lights on the pavements with uh, your confounded roller coasters. Uh, but where is Abdullah? And so, and of course, he doesn't hear him, and just going on and uh, cross purposes, asking where Abdullah is. Uh, he's saying, uh, oh, you won't believe it reached 40 miles an hour. Would you like to try him then? But Nestor shows up looking like he's been through a war. Yes. Oh, well, my yes. gosh. Been through a war. Working the bridge over the River Kwai. He just looks like he's gone through 
the most horrible experience you could ever live through. That's right. Uh, he says that I fear Master Abdullah's visit was not very good for me, but things are better now. He uh, he has departed yesterday, and they left a note for you. Oh, poor Nestor, says the captain. A real demon, uh, that boy. But let's see what he's written to us. So as a note, goes, yes. dear blistering barnacles. Yes. I like that it's spelled wrong on the front of the card. And I like that he's going, why can't he use my proper name? <laughs> dear blistering barnacles. Yeah. My dear blistering barnacles, I have been very good. I haven't played any jokes. Papa wrote to me, I must go home. That's sad because it is fun at Marlinspike. With love from Abdullah. Oh, very sweet, eh? Uh, Nestor's uh, been fussing about a little uh, innocent childish mischief. Sits on the couch, which explodes underneath him. And, uh, oh, billions of blistering blue barnacles. Uh, Billions of bilious, sorry. Bilious uh, blue blistering barnacles in a thundering typhoon. Uh, Shall I never be left in peace? In peace? Uh, Just then Mr. Wag arrives at the door. (laughs) What? No, no, I want some peace. Peace. And uh, Wag's there saying... Hello, old boy. How are you, you old sea dog? I'm doing fine. In the pink. Ha, 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 ha. What a lark to see you again. Literally, he is in the pink. Yes, actually, yeah. What a lark to see you again, you old humbug, you. Well, my old salt, I've got a surprise for you. I know the country's pretty, but it's dull as ditch water. No, no. Take it from me. It's dull. So I said to myself, Jolion, I said, you must go and liven things up for that old stick in the mud. Captain Scores, that's very kind of you. But no, no. Turn, turn it up. No buts. Too, uh, sorry, too easy. I'm president of the Vagabond Car Club down my way. All I've had to do is organize a rally. And the final trials are at Marlinspike. Then we cut to a beautiful, huge page, full-page drawing, most likely done mostly by Roger Leloup, of many, many cars parked all over the beautiful... Large, small... <laughs> yes, American... It's a beetle. It's not a beetle. Is that that is not a Beetle car. No, that's a Porsche three fifty six. That's a Porsche three fifty six A. Well, uh, shows what I know. Yes, it does indeed. Uh, it's a. Uh, I see the Thompsons are out there. Uh, Thompsons with, with their Citroen two CV, which actually they began to uh, promote. Uh, and then the uh, they yeah they were, did a series of ads. They're advertising the Citroen two CV. They became so part of it. Yeah, I'll tell you what all the cars are if you want to know. Actually. Okay, I go. Can, I can tell you. Here we go. Starting at the top. Now, let me just say, Left by the way, corner. Dave just saw that his parking uh, expired. So he may be, uh, he may actually lose money by telling you about these other cars. It's okay. It's okay. And go. It's worth the sacrifice just to do this. So Get in the it. top corner, there's a red car, number seven. That is an MGA. So now, of course, the blue car near it, is, as I said, was a Porsche 356A. Uh, there's a Peugeot 403 parked there as well. And then uh, there's a little red car with a kind of a bubble hatch. That's a Messerschmitt cabin, cabinen roller, it's called. I know, it's weird, isn't it? No, no. Then there's the green car is a BMW 502. There is a Mercedes 190SL. That's the beige car. Number two is a Alfa Romeo Giulietta Berline. Mm-hmm. The blue car that smashed into the railing and broken uh, Haddock's railing, that is a Cadillac Eldorado Brougham. Uh, there's a yellow car, number three, in the middle of the driveway. That is a DKW, three equals six. Ever heard of that car? No. Me neither, never. It's crazy. I just love all these different cars. Uh, yeah, no, they're beautiful cars. In the bottom there, it's a Plymouth. And a lot of good gags around it, too. And a Plymouth Belvedere. Then we have a green Triumph TR3A at the top there. There is a Volvo 544, the red car, number 24. The yellow car is a Citron DS19. The blue car with the white top is an opal record and then that little white one that's torn the back of someone's jacket Mm -hmm. is it's called an isetta velam there you go 
Very nice. Oh, and then there's a red car. That you can see the grill of it. That is a uh, Jaguar Mark One again. There's air pumps. There's dogs. Now, there's... the true part of the rally was that this actually happened to, to Hergé every year. Not that the cars came on his lawn and park, but they would come every year to his house and his house would be part of like a scavenger hunt. Oh, is that and right? They'd have to ask. He'd, so he'd be having people knocking on his door, having to answer questions about how much do your gates weigh or how far are you from the city? All these kind of weird questions like that. So, yeah, it was just a real. So he was just putting all these things in to torture himself. <laughs> That's great. No, it's a great image to, uh, to end. Yeah. It does seem a little... Uh, and then here's an extra joke at the end. Yeah. You yeah. Know, with, uh, this but it's a good kind of send out. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah it, work, it, work, it works fine. Yeah. And it's uh, another one of those characters. It's, uh, it's, all, it's all fine. Yeah. I understand like if, uh, if it did start while you see him and then it ends where you see Wag, then it would be a little bit more, oh, sandwich, it makes more sense, but yeah, ah, it's fine. No, this is a really good, solid story. It's on a, a very serious topic, but told in a lighthearted, action-packed way. Um, yeah, this was a really good story. I'm all for it. I like it, too. And as your first, uh, as the first Tintin story you ever read, this was the one that hooked you. Oh, yeah. This, yeah, it's a great story. It's, it's so well-drawn. And so action-packed. How old were you when you when you read this? I was probably grade eight. So I'm at maybe is that thirteen? At a school library? No, actually, the school library only had asterisks. The public library only had Tintin. So I found it at the public library. Mm. I'd actually I'd already read asterisks. Did you read it in the library or take it home? No, I took it home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Devoured it. One. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Ate it up. Ate it up, indeed. Nice. Went back, got another. I think I had to order more because only that library only had one in it. What? So you know, it was a library system. So yeah. you had the, the books were exchanged through different libraries. So I'd have to like order in. Oh, the, the okay, next yeah, series. I had to do that too in the past. And then I started being given them for Christmas, so that was great. Nice. Yeah. So, um, listen, folks, uh, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with it because listen, we've given you a lot of information. If anything that we've said is wrong, or you want to add to anything that we've said. Uh, we love hearing from you, and probably the best way of doing that is on our message board. That's SneakyDragon.com. Sneaky Dragon is the name of the other podcast we do. If you want to listen to us talk without us mentioning Tintin, that's probably how to do it Yeah, best. Uh, but go on there, look for the episode, and then just leave a message underneath. If you're a Facebooker, why not uh, go to our Facebook page, which is Totally Tintin. If you hit like on that, that makes us feel good. What also makes us feel good is if you go to iTunes and subscribe. Uh, that helps uh, bring uh, listen more listeners and attention to us. If you give us a review, well, I mean, we can't ask for the or moon. write or write a comment. I haven't or checked write it, a comment. but apparently one of our listeners, I, I want to say Andrew, right. is going to uh, write write it on the uh, one the iTunes iTunes in Switzerland. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, most of the reviews on there are just like uh, neutral, pretty much. <laughs> It's all two and a half star reviews out of five, you know. But they're 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 very yeah. fair and very thorough. Very seems very fair. That's yeah. right. Uh, very clean reviews. And if you read those reviews, you get a free chocolate. That's mm, how that works. That's nice. Anyway, that's a lot of stereotypes about Switzerland. Feel free to make stereotypes about Canada if you want, because that's yeah. where we're from. I think we lost a review on iTunes. I think we did as well. If you want to email <laughs> us, we're at uh, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com, and we are at. Uh, sneaky underscore dragon on Twitter. And I think that's all the social media we'll be doing for a while. Maybe we got we do have a Tumblr, but we'll tell you about that another time. We can't bore you with that. Instagram, who knows what we're on. But, uh, thank you so much for listening. The next time we talk to you, we'll be talking about Tintin in Tibet, which I think David enjoys that book. I like that book a lot. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things and I'm looking forward to reading that myself. Uh, anything else you want to leave our listeners with, David? Nope. Okay. What do you want? <laughs> no, I just, why are you, 
I never say anything at the end of the show. Why are you putting it on me now? No. I just like that. Turn the gun on Dave at the oh, last minute. You're so verbose you through the entire I, thing that at the Dave, end it's just mind? like, Dave, anything else you want to say after you've gone through your whole stack of notes? Anything more you want to say? Why? Why do you think I want to say anything? Come on. Oh, boy. I'm done Why now. would Wag want to say anything? I'm spent. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much for your kind attention. This has been Totally Tintin. Uh, we will talk to you next time. Bye.